This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by our good old pal Kevin Shiat over on patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. Before we get into today's episode, War Games, I want to give a quick plug and shout out to fellow Irishman, fellow stand-up comedian, and fellow survivor of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Eddie O'Keefe. Eddie is a stand-up comedian specializing in puns, one-liners, and little jokes that everyone can enjoy. I've checked out his stuff. It is amazing. You can become a fan of his over on facebook.com forward slash Eddie O'Keefe comedy. You is available for bookings you can contact him on there and he's currently working on a wrestling themed stand-up set wrestling stand-up is always a beautiful thing support our friend and check him out for all information about plugs how to get access to 40 plus bonus episodes and ways to support the show as always patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling but for now enjoy the show it's how to war games Greetings, friend, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. Hello, everyone, once again, I'm Cowboy Kevin Mann, saddling up once again with the ever-inquisitive, my better half, and the other side of How To Wrestling, the learning Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? It's a lovely day outside. It's sunny. I'm feeling good. Yeah, it's a very beautiful summer's day, a perfect day for some war games, am I right? Yes. <laughs> this episode was requested by Kevin Chayas, so today we're going to be looking at one of the most infamous, unique, and dare I say legendary match types in the history of professional wrestling. This time coming from one of the other companies, WCW, which was their mainstay in the 80s and the 90s. This week we are talking about the fabled War Games match requested by Kevin Chiat. War Games Joe is a very, very unique match type. Just to say how it actually looks, how would you describe this match? You've got two rings. Two rings. And you've got two cages. Two cages, two rings. And then I think this is a pretty common thread among all war games but it's really hard to tell because like every war games match we watched had different rules yes war games seems to be very open to interpretation fastly inconsistent <laughs> yeah but it also seems to have two teams yes so you're usually meant to have it's funny i was looking at all the rules of this officially you're meant to have officially between three to five people two to three teams two rings but not always and two cages sometimes they have roofs but not always sometimes there's three cages there's a lot of variants around here, but the classic war games was meant to be two teams going into two rings with two cages. Right. Had you ever heard of this match type before we had this episode requested? No. <laughs> Never. I didn't know what it was. Sounds very strange. Called something like war games. I think you don't expect it to be just two cages over two rings. If I mean just said to you war games and you hadn't seen any of these matches, I mean, what would you have assumed that the match type was. I mean, have you seen the artwork? <laughs> like, yeah. our illustrator Dan kind of drew some kind of wasteland, post-apocalyptic kind of war zone. That's, I think, what I would have expected. Like, wrestlers fighting to the death in a desert. Oh, right, so you were expecting, like, you know, I mean, one of your original grumbles on this podcast was that the street fights were taking place very much not on a street. Exactly. If, if war games doesn't happen on an actual war field... Yeah. 
what's the point? Exactly. And I think we're all very disappointed that War Games doesn't start with Ron Atkinson saying, ready? And then blowing a little whistle and then all the four horsemen getting up bravely and running off. And it just fades to black and before the pay-per-view ends. We all cry. Yeah, exactly. And then WCW logo comes up, Field of Poppies, five-star match. Easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest moments in BBC comedy history. <laughs> Right, so I want to tell you a little bit about where this match came from. War Games is an interesting one for me because until we did this episode, I'd never actually seen a War Games match. It's a match I had, this gets really lame, I'd read a lot about. Right. I'd read a lot about the match because I've read the autobiographies of people like Ric Flair and Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes. And as a result, that War Games match comes up time and time again. War Games is not something you see in WWE until like last year. One finally happened. And the reason for that is, is that it's from WCW, World Championship Wrestling. Have you managed to glean anything? We've This has come up a few times, WCW, while we've been doing episodes. How could you describe WCW for new fans? Okay, I, I know a couple, like, literally like, two, I think I know two things about WCW. <laughs> okay. One, it's owned by Ted Turner. Uh-huh. And two... Pretty sure Vince Russo was, like, the face of it at some point. <laughs> yes, at one point. <laughs> oh, and three, Goldberg was in it. Yes, he was. Yes. So we have episodes of people we've done who are spent time in WCW as well. Uh, Scott Hall, uh, DDP as well. Oh, yeah. WCW is very much the kind of the other company, the Gary to WWF is, WWF's Ash in the uh, journey to become the greatest wrestling promoter master of all time. Mm. War Games was devised by Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes is the person who actually originally invented this War Games concept of having two cages. Dusty Rhodes uh, is someone we will do an episode on at some point. He's the father of Goldust, also known as Dustin Rhodes, a wrestler who's on the current roster. He's also the father of Cody Rhodes, who is a very, very big name you'll see uh, all around other companies other than WWE at the moment. Dusty Rhodes used to write for WCW during a period of time, and he had quite the imagination in Dusty Rhodes. Uh, matches would come to him, as he described, in a dream, and he'd wake up in a cold sweat with an idea in his mind for this amazing match type. Dusty Rhodes says that he came up with war games, and I shit you not, after seeing the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, there was a part of me that was trying to convince you, Joe, can we watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome to get in the proper headspace of Dusty Roads and the War Games match? I'd be up for it. <laughs> Tina, it. Tina Turner it. was in it, like, you know, yeah, that worked. Just as a matter of interest, you were a fan of Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Did you see any of Mad Max kind of represented, do you think, in, in the War Games matches we saw? Not really. No? Um. Very few cars in them, wasn't there? Yeah, there wasn't any kind of flaming guitar solos or anything like that. It's very interesting. The War Games match, I think Thunderdome in Mad Max was like, like it was a it was, it was a domed cage environment and the people would fight to the death and Tina Turner would oversee everything because that's the kind of woman that she is, taking charge. And Dusty Rhodes wanted to emulate this kind of crazy free-for-all brawl inside a wrestling ring and there had been cage matches before and there'd even been a cage with a roof before but he wanted to have two rings two cages because it was going to be such a big fucking war that you had to have two rings to put everyone in what are your thoughts on there being a double ring like that i mean any ideas on that i mean it's a bit of a weird concept but you think You'd think it would kind of allow a bit of innovation mm. within the ring. Right, yeah. You'd think. Well, in terms of what you can do with the fact that you've got 
two separate rings and a bit yeah. in the middle. Like the only thing is, it does seem a bit cumbersome to have the two middle ropes because when you've yeah. got the two rings pushed together, you've got those two inside ropes. Then mm. that they have to when they climb from one ring to the other. It's, it's actually very awkward. Yeah, because, I mean, the problem with that is that you look at war games, and this is something I've always struggled with, is looking back at wrestling from the 80s and stuff like that, is that you see these, like, concepts or match types, and you just kind of go, fuck it, if only there was someone in there who could do an old springboard, mm. or could really go to town and do something really crazy and athletic. Whereas, but more often than not, it's kind of brawlers and stuff like that just beating the shit out of each other in these matches dusty Rhodes, of course and as well as creating this match type also created the idea of putting himself in the war games match can you have a guess at who's been in the most war games matches out of everyone is it dusty Rhodes? it is guess how many war games matches dusty Rhodes has been in i don't know how many there have been there's been 32 officially 32 okay i think he's been in 17 he's been in 10 Oh, okay. So, yeah, even though, like, he was technically, when he wrote, when he devised this, was meant to be the booker and no longer a real wrestler. Wow. So, yeah, he's been in 10. I have an educated guess as to who would be second. Yeah. Dustin Rhodes. He's been in a load. Yeah, Ric Flair, Dusty, and Dustin Rhodes are kind of like the top three kind of people who've been in the match, like, pretty Ooh, much the most. All very blonde. Guess, uh, out of the 10 matches, how many Dusty Rhodes won? Uh, None. 10. Really? <laughs> I don't know anything about Dusty I've got a great idea. It came to me in a dream. We have this match. Yeah, I win, Daddy. Let me get to <laughs> I'll get there, okay? I'll get there. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was very, very strange. And something I didn't know when I was researching this, uh, a couple of things came to mind. Firstly, the original War Games match was devised to be like a touring circus, essentially. Oh, I guess that actually does kind of make sense. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like we're going to tune into the big pay-per-view that is the War Games match. That would be one show. And then they would go and they would do all the circuit, all the shows, all arranged, untelevised. There's like 12 or so, I think, in the first summer. They did 12 War Games matches. Wow. So the original War Games match, which had like the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering and... Nikita Koloff and Dusty against the Four Horsemen and their manager. You had that big brawl, that bloodbath they had. Then they had to go around and do it fucking ten more times. Not on TV. To smaller crowds. That's going to be hard. It's a fucking waste of life and waste of blood. It's so crazy. But it kind of makes sense in a way because I'd quite like to see a live War Games match, I think. Yeah, how come? I think it would be more entertaining when you can kind of see everything that's going on at once rather mm. than when you watch it on a screen. Yeah. You can only obviously see what the camera decides to show you. Right, yeah. And I guess an issue I've always had is like if you watch WCW and you're used to watching particularly modern WWE where as bad as they are in some ways with the zooms and the crashing in and out yeah. and whatnot, at least the cameras are generally there and you're going to see what you need to see. Yeah. The original War Games matches, you got these big chicken wire constructions and there's like a guy with a camera in there with his knees shaking going, oh God, I hope I don't fucking die, trying to catch as much of it as he can. Wow. It's really awkward, the camera work for a lot of the earlier War Games matches. As well as that, I've always wondered, can you actually see in there with those big cage matches? I've never seen a cage match live. No. I mean, I figured you wouldn't see diddly-boo. Mm, I think you'd be able to see a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would... You wouldn't tour a match 
type like that if mm. no one could see what was going on. That's true. It literally wouldn't survive. I think maybe no one can see, but everyone's too embarrassed to admit it. They're like, like, oh, yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> make it red, basically, through it. It's kind of like when you're watching a war games match head on, it's kind of like uh, a seeing eye picture, like a magic eye. And you have to kind of like focus your eyes mm. in and then you they kind of defocus a bit and you just see loads of bloody men like staggering around. <laughs> now, we're going to talk a little bit about rules, okay? Rules are very, very important in war games matches. Usually speaking, we, and we've done an episode about match types and whatnot, and rules are hopefully in wrestling usually quite short and easy to explain. Ha! <laughs> like a ladder match. You climb up, you grab the thing at the top of the ladder. Oh, you win the match. A table match. You go through a table. Bada boom. You win the match. Easy enough to understand. Mm. I can't remember when we first watched the Royal Rumble if you thought that the Royal Rumble was like complicated in terms yes. of rules. Yeah. And also, I don't think the ladder match or the table matches are as straightforward as you are letting on. Excuse me? Because it's not just there's a ladder or there's a table. Yeah. There's things like pinfall or submission. There's things like DQs or no DQs. All right. So we kind of, you have to, you can't just assume out in all of these, all these no. matches, all the, all the rules, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> we've watched we've watched four in total, you and I, together. Three of which we'll talk about in depth. Across the four War Games matches, would you describe the rules as being um, consistent? Ha! Ha! <laughs> no, I would not describe them as being consistent. And also, I wouldn't describe them as being clear. Okay, you get at the start of these War Games matches... Uh, they, they give you the rules, don't they? This kind of boom comes up on the screen. They should mail it out to every person watching. <laughs> Here's a 40-page booklet on how to enjoy war games. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the war games match. I hope you have done the required reading that has been sent to you <laughs> from our mailing list. You need like a pre-war games seminar. I think so, yeah. Like a little 30-minute like seminar where you can come with like, any issues you have. You yeah. can chat with Dusty. There's a Q&A. He's got the board there, the white... You know. What kind of words come up when we talk about war games, Daddy? Okay, match beyond. Okay, period. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so if you could, Joe, hmm. can you describe the rules as you anticipate them or as you believe them to be for a general war game but I can't match. do a general war it's so inconsistent like literally I have done that already when you first asked me at the beginning of this episode <laughs> that's about as consistent as it gets there's two rings there's a cage and there's two-ish teams there's, there's guys and even that isn't consistent we watched one of these matches which had three cages and they were they weren't even like next to each other they were stacked like a wedding cake <laughs> oh man Joe I think I just realised what I want our wedding cake to be with a beautiful referee top <laughs> a little tiny Vince Russo inside going, <laughs> it's ridiculous the rules are totally inconsistent they make no sense the way they display them as well is really confusing yeah it's boom right up on your screen with a bit of a, a bit of font there clear text and the re and the announcer is really really fastly trying to go through all of these rules at the end of the first period there will be five minutes and then the second period also of two minutes and then a third period and then a fourth and so on and so forth until all seven periods oh my god the very first match that we watched which wasn't kind of when we actually covered covered it was just kind of a prep we dipped our toes into the water with the uh, Fall Brawl War games that featured or boy the Shockmaster 
Because yeah. there's no way we weren't checking out his in-ring debut. He looks a bit different, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? He like kind a- of uh, drops the, uh, the, the the shiny Stormtrooper helmet. For those of you who are wondering about that infamous match with uh, the Shotmaster in it, he did actually win for his team as well by making Booker T tap out. So Shotmaster is uh, undefeated in war games. Wow. <laughs> He looks like a construction worker. He does, Is that his gimmick now? The thing that they did with Shopmaster... (laughs) He's he's such an alluring force, Shopmaster. You have to segue and talk about him a little bit. After he fell through... Because you saw when we did our live show, he fell through and his hat fell off. And he was like, I'm going to see you at the war games. (laughs) And this is the war games that he is speaking of. That is the war games that he'll see you at. (laughs) 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 By the way, if you've not seen, Joe has done the Shockmaster promo yeah. on our Facebook page facebook.com slash how to wrestling go to the video section there's a life sucks and then you die problem up there now as well which uh, people are saying is oddly erotic which I think is a great compliment to pay it until Vince McMahon himself is like oh hot English bitch <laughs> then I haven't achieved anything but yeah the, the shop master what happened Joe is that they decided they were going to try and salvage the, uh, the reputation of the man and the match by putting a hard hat on him and they sent uh, why because he falls over he keeps making mistakes but why take the why does he have to lose the, the helmet I bet that snake George Lucas was on them like you know and they're like how can we protect his head without a stormtrooper helmet I know how about a normal helmet so what they kept him having a hat helmet what yeah. so that he could fall over and it could fall off like the, a, the a gimmick, gimmick. <laughs> gimmick was they literally sent the reporter to him and it's like Shotmaster you had a quite a strange debut you know, people were quite alarmed when they saw you coming out there and falling over. And he's there, like, at a restaurant, and he's, like, you're wearing his hard hat. And he's like, I'm such a goof. I get so excited. Like, swear, they got a John Candy play in this fucking guy. Like, that's what they were going for. And he's like, oh, I just get so excited because I love the kids. And I just want to make the kids all happy. And, uh, oh, and, then, like, he spills the ketchup and knocks over the table. And like, you know, because he's, a, he's an idiot. So a clumsy construction worker, that's not a dark gimmick at all. No, Jesus Christ. That's a very, very scary gimmick indeed, like. I'm just saying, though, uh, Shotmaster and Sandman teaming up, heavy construction, that's a tie team waiting to happen right there. They should have built the War Games cage, I think, themselves. That could have been a, <laughs> like a match type. Whoa, the Shockmaster's built this cage. Is it safe enough to, to wrestle in? All the horses fall in on it, like, straight away. Like, it's a, it's a hazard. It's a health it and safety risk. Yeah. Okay, so we're trying to get into our mind through these rules, okay? So, essentially what happens in war games is you'll have your different teams. You will have five minutes at the start where it's just your two guys, one guy from each team comes in, and they wrestle. Then there's going to be a coin flip, okay? So they flip a coin, then you go, oh, heads or tails, and then whoever wins the coin flip gets to have their next guy go in. So whoever wins the coin flip gets to have a one-man advantage. Because then you'll have periods of two to three minutes after that, new people keep coming in. So, for instance, at the start, you'll have have one-on-one, then it'll be two-on-one, then two-on-two, then three-on-two, then three-on-three, etc., etc., until you get to the end. I've realized that it sounds a lot easier when... I don't know. I just I thought the rules were a lot easier than they apparently came across. Who thinks that? Who could ever think that these rules are easy? I don't understand. I've watched four fucking matches with these stupid rules. <laughs> upon, and literally, guys, as well, they 
Oh my god! They show the rules, and it's like six. It's like a slideshow. So it's like a six slide slideshow. Yeah, Drew Gulak style. It's yeah, great. like slide one, fucking seven or eight rules. Slide two, another fucking seven or eight rules. And we all know, Joe, that if you're doing your proper PowerPoints, you're meant to have minimum text on there, mainly images and diagrams, which the text is only there for reference. Okay? Exactly, exactly. You're not just supposed to, you know, university seminar style read off the slideshow. And guys, if you're all just there and all you're doing is just writing down the war games notes that are written up there and you're not even asking questions and engaging with the the, the material you're not going to learn that way when it comes to the exam you're going to have a hard time okay you're going to have a very hard time the problem with it though and some people think this is a, an issue Tony Schiavone who was the main announcer for WCW recently on his uh, podcast said that he hated the war games match Tony Schiavone the announcer he said the reason he hated war games is that you know all that time I was talking about at the start where you got all these you know five minute period two minute period and people come in slowly and slowly and slowly until you have all 10 people in the team are, are in or whatever it is the match actually doesn't start officially until everyone is in the ring what do you mean the match doesn't start because it obviously does start because they're wrestling you can't win the match but that's not the same as the match not starting <laughs> well the thing about that though is that they have a, f- a special phrase for when everyone is in the ring it becomes the match beyond See, now I would just call that um, when the match becomes active. I'd be like, the match starts, you know, when the bell rings, Mm. but the match is inactive at that point and becomes active when the 10th wrestler enters the ring. That's how I'd phrase that. Very interesting. Better than beyond, I think. The match beyond. It makes makes me think of One Step Beyond. That's the reason why I like it, I think. Oh, it's it's a ska song. You know, you wouldn't understand. Me and the cool kids, like Sami Zayn, we're, we're in okay. on the on that ska. It's called ska, Dad. You wouldn't understand. Like, I'm dancing aggressively as I explain ska to Joe, you <laughs> see. But the problem, some people think, is you've got nearly then 15 minutes thereabouts where the crowd mightn't get invested or into it because they know the match can't end. You know that there's not going to be... You can't do any roll-ups. You can't do near falls. You can't do anything like that. So that kind of makes it quite challenging, the match can't end for the first no, 15 or so minutes. No, that's not confusing. No? The confusing thing is the seven pages of rules <laughs> phrased very badly. The first match we watched, it re- simultaneously refers to as a referee toss and a coin toss. <laughs> oh, this was brilliant! And I thought, oh, ridiculous me. How, how stupid Joe is that she could possibly think that the referee toss meant they were actually going to throw a referee to decide who won. <laughs> oh, because that's the stupid thing in wrestling. <laughs> not having fucking three cages on top of each other with a bunch of men breaking each other apart inside with bins <laughs> with a referee standing on top. I mean, I did say a referee toss as a joke, assuming you would get the joke. But no, I, mean, I wouldn't get the joke because I'm a new fan. I'm not, I don't know what a war games is. Okay? So I didn't get the joke and I thought I was waiting the whole match. I was waiting to see a referee get thrown around. I was I'm, really excited. Just for the record, Earl Hebner is the referee that I would throw because he's quite small and he looks kind of like a bowl so that if you threw him, I think he would actually gather a bit of momentum as long as he's on, on a smooth surface that's who I'd throw to kind of ensure my victory in the war games coin toss I'm very disappointed that they're not tossing referees and also I think it's really confusing language you've got to be consistent there if it's going to be a coin toss call it a coin toss throughout the whole page of the rules don't suddenly now start switching your terminology around now some people have an issue with the coin toss the coin toss I mean I love the idea like there was really cool there was a few matches which we saw where like the guys were literally all like huddled around as the referee tossed the coin there's like you know nine wacky wrestlers being like ah, as this coin is 
flipping up in the air. I like that quite a lot. But an issue with the coin toss is that I think, I'm pretty sure I looked up every single War Games match ever, the heels have won the coin toss. Right. Because you can't do a full match where the bad guys are at a one-man disadvantage for the majority of the match because you can't really... In reality, there's no real way to actually make that work, kind of with the crowd. You can't really get the crowd behind the heels being at a big disadvantage. TNA did that once, I think, in their version of War Games. They did a one man advantage for the good guys, and it was awful. It was so bad. Mm. I wonder what it is about being a heel in wrestling that means that you cannot be defeated in coin tosses. Don't know. <laughs> I'd like them to do a little thing like, you know, that they gimmicked the coin or something like that. Or like they knock out the referee and they flip the coin over and then the other referee comes out and calls the what he sees. Well, this is why it's another reason that they should be using referees as <laughs> referee tosses, not coin tosses. I mean, a referee toss is not open to interpretation at No, all. you can't gimmick that to the crowd. I mean, a coin toss, no one's really going to tell if it landed heads or tails. A referee toss now you can pretty easily see which way he's landed. See, what I would do is I would find out who the referee that the the face team wanted to toss and I would ply them with high-calorie food in the weeks leading up to it and kind of like, you know, take them out for lots of treats, like, you know, like donuts. Things they don't realise, you know, actually have a lot of calories in them and then they become quite heavy and then the heels have got the advantage with their their much lighter uh, referee to toss. That's extremely unethical. Yeah, is it? Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, never mind. It's fine, unethical. I mean, I'm a heel. What about referee welfare? Don't you care about the... Right, the other thing as well about the rules is that in the original War Games matches, this did get changed later on down the line, but in the original War Games match, the only way to win was by submission or surrender. Giggling at me. I just like the idea of a wrestler surrendering. Well, it's a bit silly to me because, like, surely submission is surrendering. How so? I mean... I guess you have to tap out, you know, that is surrendering. Yeah. But, I mean, you could surrender and not be in a submission hold. You could just be in a jam and be like, I quit or whatever. Has that ever happened? They did do one of the War Games matches, actually. It was one of the ones we, we watched some clips from because I wanted to show you some people trying to be a bit innovative in the War Games match because it's quite a claustrophobic environment. And I showed Joe some clips of uh, highlights of Brian Pillman in the 1992 War Games match because Brian Pillman, flying Brian, you may remember him, he was in Steve Austin's tag team, the Hollywood Blondes, back yes. in the day. Yes. I like him. Very, very good. Uh, Brian Pillman, definitely going to be doing an episode of him, one of my all-time favourite wrestlers. But he kind of zipped around a lot in the War Games. He used the roof and stuff to do hurricanes on people. There was a spot in the match where Sid Vicious, who was a very tall man, uh, went to powerbomb flying Brian and hadn't taken into account the fact that he was around seven foot tall and the cage was around maybe eight foot tall so he picks him up for a powerbomb which is where you get lifted up onto your, the person's shoulders and uh, his head bounced off the top of the cage and his legs didn't make it fully clear and he got dropped right in his fucking head it was absolutely sick yeah it was gross uh, it, they did a gimmick there where his friend El Gigante came out and was like no my friend is hurt stop the match because he was worried for him so that was surrender I guess technically kind of throwing in the towel almost okay the reason they did is in the original, original War Games, you had Paul Ellering and J.J. Dillon in there who were the managers of their teams. And the idea was was that in the War Games, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And these formidable teams have only got their managers in there with them. So everyone was kind of like looking like, oh, the manager is going to be like, get scared and terrified because they're not a wrestler and they're going to you know, surrender or something like that. So I think that's why that's in there. It was to play off of those original rules. But yeah, in the 2017 version, when it was brought back, it had the rules change quite a bit. And we'll talk about some of those changes later on and how they might actually be of benefit. So let's get into maybe our first match then, shall we? I mean, 
when we watched the first War Games match, which we did, which involved uh, our boy the Shockmaster and Sting and all of his friends were in there, what was your initial reaction to it, knowing that you had to watch a bunch more War Games matches after it? Um, I remind you, you're under oath, Joe. I'm under oath. <laughs> I wasn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't enjoy the match, but honestly, I thought this was supposed to be a bit of a clusterfuck anyway, this right. match, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a total clusterfuck, and they're meant to be clusterfucks. I mean, clusterfucks can be fun sometimes, like when there's loads of people and it's complete chaos. I was a bit underwhelmed in the first time we watched just because of like how like the crowd wasn't really hot for it. Like The crowd like, didn't seem to match what was going on in the ring, and people like bleeding buckets and beating the shit out of each other and the crowd just didn't seem massively enthused by all of it mm. it felt like kind of you know the way now when you do Hell in the Cell matches that don't have a big build up towards them like a, a very scary match type where it doesn't feel like there's been a real legitimate reason to put these people in the match it kind of felt like that that it just the setting didn't match the kind of enthusiasm for what was actually going on I just found it too confusing yeah I mean the rules probably came at you quite hard in that first one seven periods in total first period equals five minutes all other periods equal two minutes one man from each team during first period after first period ends head ref flips coin a team winning the toss sends in the second man after second two on one period ends the other team sends in the second man making more games two on two after the third period team which won the coin toss sends its third man teams alternate during remaining periods until all ten men are in the war zone surrender or submission is the only way to win there are no pinfalls count outs or DQs official time is kept at ringside and the head referee's decision is final what about that isn't so <laughs> simple to understand I mean your God, home may be at risk if you don't keep up repaying <laughs> <laughs> I could not keep track of who was on which team. Which, by the way, this match actually was like quite good for that compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, because the original, I mean, <laughs> without getting like too obvious about it, I mean, in this match you had at least people of different body shapes and you had people of different skin tones and whatnot. There are some war games matches where it's legitimately ten blonde men in the fucking and it's really hard to watch like yeah it's really hard to see what's going on because you've kind of got most camera shots are from outside of the cage mm. a lot of this was just lumbering around falling over it was slow the pacing was weird mm. didn't really understand what was going on I kept expecting them someone to throw a referee around mm. didn't happen <laughs> sorely disappointed it's weird because like I'd seen the first first War Games match. I'd watched that as a little bit first. And what was interesting about that is that, firstly, the first War Games match, inexplicably, the first five minutes of it is chopped off of the network. Uh, there is a War Games collection on there, but the first one is missing five minutes and all the entrances. I don't know why that is, actually. It's very, very strange. But yeah, I saw that. And I was kind of like, okay, it's a bit of a crazy brawl. I get it. Didn't seem... I wasn't blown away by it, but I'll have to wait until maybe there's some wrestlers in here who I kind of who maybe I, I care about a little bit more, you know, or maybe wrestlers in here who, who are going to do things a little bit differently than just brawl a lot. So I decided, and we got a lot of recommendations. People wanted us to review some good ones, and people really wanted us to review some bad ones. So I decided what we do is we look at one that's considered to be one of the best, one that's considered to be one of the worst, and then the new revamped version for 2017 back in November when WWE decided to revamp and do war games finally on a WWE show. So looking for the best one. Some people suggested the first one was the best one. By and large, this came at the top of everyone's list. So you have the Sting Squadron, which is what Sting and his boys. Sting and his pals, his super best friends, including amongst them, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham, who thankfully is, is dressed exactly the same as Dustin Rhodes, and Nikita Koloff, the Russian who has 
decided he wants world peace and is joining up with his old rival Sting to rid the world of the Dangerous Alliance. And this is first evolution Sting when he was um, colourful. Yes, colourful. Before he shed his young colourful colours and became goth Sting. Before Scott Hall watched The Crow, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've got the Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance, which if you listen to our Paul Heyman episode, you'll know is the name of Paul Heyman's little gang of thieves, I guess. Yes, so the Dangerous Alliance was kind of a play off of like a lot of the greed is good Wall Street stuff that was going along at the time Heyman was meant to be this New York or sorry I should say dangerously was meant to be this New Yorker type with the big cell phone who was always you know talking to investors and he's as- assembled essentially a squadron of bad men to do his bidding <laughs> I was really shocked with this because when we did our Paul Heyman episode we talked about Paul in WCW it was he hated his time he hated everything about it mm. and yet this was a really cool group with cool music that had like a they had a real 80s vibe to them I love this group and this gimmick they seem to be having a lot of fun with it as well which I like and on that team you have got Larry Zbysko Ravishing Rick Rude Bobby Eaton Arn Anderson and a young and stunning Steve Austin. Oh boy, got some serious hunks in this match. Now, are we to rank the hunks on each team? Who's got the hunkier side here, Joe? If it's going to come down, I mean, you've got ten cuts of prime beef in this match. If it's going to come down to it, who are the uh, who's the fillet among this mignon? I think the the two biggest hunks of this match have got to be um, Rick Rude and. Stunning Steve Austin. Rick Rude, a very interesting character indeed. Rick Rude, and if you've not ever seen Rick Rude, you're a new fan, Google him right now, and straight away you'll realise how he managed to inexplicably have a gimmick in an era of the 80s and 90s where everyone was a big, strong, muscly, steroid monster. He still managed to have the gimmick of sexy muscle man. Yeah. Incredible. Do you know what I think that is? I think that's... He understood that to objectify yourself as a man to the female gaze oh I love this the female gaze requires more than just muscles all over okay what else does it require a moustache is what you're saying a (laughs) moustache and the ability to flex and swivel them hips he's got some sexy little hips hasn't he I mean I like my chunky men but he has got some seriously tiny little butt there the greatest quote from Rick Rude ever which is god damn it Steve this is an upper body business (laughs) which I think that's really bad that's that's, I mean I appreciate a guy that like lives the gimmick or whatever Mm. like he's dedicated to his brand but it's not an upper body business, Rick. It's, you know, you've got to, you can't miss leg day, okay? Even if you're not going to bulk those legs, you have to have that lower body strength to support your opponent, okay? It's a matter of safety, okay? So I'm really impressed that you managed to look at that Stone Cold Fox ravishing Rick Rude and your first thought was concern of safety for other people. Yeah, You're I am. very, very good. You didn't objectify him at all or anything. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe I did She did. She did it loads. <laughs> loads and loads. Did you hear the bit where I talked about his moustache? <laughs> um, and yeah, you've got stunning Steve Austin, who, I mean, we have all, I think, gotten past the point where we all agree that he's a massive hunk. Oh, yeah. Young, stunning Steve Austin with that little flop of hair and them star trunks. He, it's not even like when he's got long hair, I think it's best. It's when he, it's this era of Stunning Steve where he's got the short hair, but it's like a little bit of a flop at the front. 
and he's got the kind of I can't remember what he was wearing as his pants, but I will never forget that photo shoot of him with the leopard skin pants on. <laughs> he's got he's got the star trunks and the, the oh, white yeah, boots. That yeah, that was it. It was a great look actually. It's quite it's the look kind of pretty much he had when he was in like the the Hollywood blondes. It really yeah. reminds me of something that like either Johnny Gargano or Finn Balor would kind of mm, wear. Yeah, it's so funny to see Steve Austin back here where he is. In so many ways, because he looks quite different. And when you go back, you look at wrestlers who were younger, like in their younger days. He's so much faster. Oh, yeah. The way he moves is just totally... You wouldn't... If you couldn't see him close up, you probably wouldn't even tell it was Steve Austin. Mm, it's incredible. But like there's certain things, like his little mannerisms, like how he like he, he holds himself and moves around the ring. You can still tell that is Steve, but he's just... he's. He's so much faster, and that's incredible because Steve Austin, even with a history of neck injuries, was always like he darted them ropes. He was a very fast individual. So we have the Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance, and this is obviously a War Games match. And mm-hmm. the show this is at was Wrestle War 1992. Yeah, so this was during what was considered to be kind of a bit of a down period for WCW. They had lost one of their big stars in Ric Flair at the time. This was before they had brought in the likes of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. So this was kind of when WWE was still comfortably on top, even though many would argue that WCW during this period had got a lot of better wrestlers. I mean, if you look at these 10 people that you got here, they're all like, no one here is like kind of a showboat and not a very good wrestler. Everyone here is considered to be like a really good wrestler who puts on high performance matches. This got five stars from the... Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is headed by Dave Meltzer, who is wrestling's only journalist, it seems, and the only one who's allowed to give things star ratings other than Joe. Around most circles, historically, this match would be considered, if it gets a five stars, because they're rarely handed out. So if it is handed out, it means that it's something special. Now, you and I watched a six-star match for a previous (laughs) episode of this podcast for what it's worth. So this can't be as good as that. We know that much. Right. Okay. The match is referred to as both the match beyond and the ultimate battleground. And what I like about watching these old War Games matches is that as frustrating as it can be to watch WCW with its old bad productions and you know not great not great direction, missing camera shots, you do get really funny goofs, such as the announcer Tony Schiavone saying, Here we go, fans, the five most exciting words you're gonna hear tonight. And of course the announcer goes Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the ultimate confrontation. War Games, the match beyond. It's like, so what are the five most exciting words? Is it ladies and gentlemen, it is? Yep. That was a pretty, I'm fucking jazzed now, like, you know. The actual five words are, let the war games begin. And then Pyro goes off on the cage. I am very sad that I got into wrestling in a time when pyro isn't used. Isn't that really, really crap? You've never seen any pyro at a wrestling show. Um, have I never seen any, or have I only seen very small? Well, we've bits? seen we've seen Raw, we've seen NXT on a house show. Did they not have we've any? We've seen Progress. Uh, we've seen you know so everything else we've seen other than that is kind of in smaller arenas. You mm. know, we've seen a lot of indie stuff, and I don't think pretty sure there wasn't fireworks at any of those. No. So yeah, you've never seen fireworks in wrestling. It's a real shame because I feel that fireworks at a wrestling show would actually make me more inclined to go to one. I'm not massively into the idea of seeing every like live show of Raw that comes to Manchester, for example. like The occasional yeah. one is, is quite fun to go to, but they're long and exhausting mm. and they get a bit boring after a while. But I think if there were pyro, I'd be a lot more inclined to go because it's the spectacle of it. Yeah, I mean, everyone loves fireworks. Yeah, and you don't get to see fireworks very often. And particularly, I'm Irish and we are not allowed to have any fireworks. Yeah, you're 
fireworks are banned. They're banned. So we used to watch wrestling. Back in the day, wrestling had fireworks Mommy, all the time. what's that? What's that light and fire? Look away! Look no! Away. It's the devil's fire! Damn you, Vince McMahon! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, fireworks are used liberally back in the good old days. Uh, particularly here, the idea of a cage being lowered down and slotted onto its efficient structure. That is reason to have ladles of fireworks. Lashings of fireworks. Any excuse. It's great. Barry Windham here, by the way. I just thought I'd quickly say this. Looks like a knockoff Hulk Hogan. You're welcome, everybody. I'm I'm done. Peace oh, out. Bye. Because right. he's got the blonde hair and he's got the, the yellow, yellow pants. The only thing is, though, he's not bald. And I don't think Barry Windham's racist. Upgraded Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Premium Hulk Hogan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just I, I want an idea now of like a, like a quantum leap type thing where Hogan just like, gets leaped into different wrestlers throughout time and it's like whoa it's totally different because I'm not racist now how am I going to play this brother like, <laughs> so we've got nine rules ten competitors seven periods two teams couldn't be easier folks I love Paul Heyman in this match. He comes out with Medusa, his uh, his like kind of executive assistant. They all gather around, and he's got fucking blueprints. He's got a big map of the War Games cave. He's like, we gotta go over there to that corner over there, and if we can get over, and then the, the camera's over there, like, and they all like hide their plans. Like, <laughs> what do you think there was written on their special secret plans? I like to think it was actual blueprints. <laughs> well, like schematics of the yeah, War Games. Yeah, I like. think so. I think I think dangerously would do. That. I'd go the full hog get like an actual architect to write some blueprints up get a, a war strategist to come on in and be like right okay how are we going to do this it's 1922 so I had to think that it was a primordial version of hacking is how he got these blueprints like you know downloaded off the uh, the cloud yeah he's got a whap on that big ass phone of his like <laughs> Austin and Barry Windham begin the match and I love the Austin is like they're trying to decide who's going to go in first and Heyman looks at Austin he's like you're the strongest you can do this you can survive he's like oh he believes in his friend that's really sweet that's nice and Stone Cold's just like oh I wasn't feeling that strong and now I do I feel I can accomplish anything it's gonna suck going in there because like literally within a minute or two Austin he's young and spry he's bouncing around you can see some great wrestling with these guys which is something that was missing from the previous War Games matches where you didn't have a lot of fast paced stuff just kind of guys come in and start hammering each other these guys yeah just 10 men lost in a cage where am I (laughs) really really cool bit where Steve does this clothesline from one ring to the other and bounces across it was really really cool but within a few minutes he is great up against that cage oh like properly Barry's like mushing his head it's like he's using the cage as a cheese grater (laughs) and Steve Austin's beautiful shiny yellow head as the cheese oh god it's horrible I mean Jim Ross who's on commentary here and this is young Jim Ross when he's got a high pitched voice like this my god Steve Austin's face is being grated like cabbage young Jim Ross is so handsome and adorable and I love him Every time I see him, it makes me so happy. He's got such a wonderful little face. I love... He is so passionate. Like, it's absurd how passionate he is. Because his broadcast colleague tonight is Jesse the Body Ventura, who's like a classic heel commentator. And it's fair to say this is Jesse, like, 
in the downwards, the spring of his uh, of his years, like in the downwards trend of his ability as a commentator, because he just kind of starts doing all this random heel stuff, like you know, oh, I heard earlier on in the night that Ricky Steamboat says that he was going to betray everyone, and Jim Ross like, he didn't say that. How dare you? He didn't say that. He'd never say that. Well, it depends. No, he didn't say that. Stop it. So. <laughs> Not being familiar with Jesse Ventura because he dresses so strangely, I kind of thought just a random wrestler had just wandered in. <laughs> This is maybe part of the War Games match. That is pretty much Jesse Ventura's, like, you know, his mindset is like, I'm a random wrestler who's coming out here. I'm going to talk about this as if I am a wrestler who could beat all of these other wrestlers. I'm just going to bother this actual announcer. The Dangerous Alliance win the fabled coin toss. So, yeah, I Maybe it's a loaded coin. Maybe Dangerously's got a two-sided coin. Hmm. Maybe Polly has got the force and he can make the chance keep flip over like Qui-Gon in episode one, you know? Mm. Who knows? I'm trying to fantasy book this because 32 War Games matches, you tell me good guys could win one fucking coin toss? Okay, so I've just done some quick maths there. Hmm. I've tried to work out what the probability is of 32 times in a row only one outcome happening. So that would be... A one in two chance to getting ahead, say, right. for instance, and that has to happen for every single War Games match. It has to happen 32 times. So it's that probability multiplied times 32. So not point, not, 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 2-3% probability chance of that happening. That's pretty amazing. But Kevin, I have a question for you. Yes. What's the probability of it happening a 33rd time? Um, another... Probably another zero in there, I'd imagine. Eh, I failed my maths GCSE, but I know the correct answer is 50%. Take that, mom and dad. Anything can happen. Even the same thing, 32 times over and over again. Anything can happen in war games. If you're a good guy in wrestling, don't do anything on a coin flip. You will lose. It's it's rigged. Do a referee toss instead. Joe, I'm starting to think this, this wrestling thing is a bit of a fix. What? Yeah. Kevin, I- you can't use the F. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So the Deadly Alliance has won their coin toss, and that means that Ravishing Rick Rude comes in, and the crowd goes nuclear. As Rude and Austin beat down Barry Windham, the crowd are just straight away. I don't know why, because we've watched a lot of War Games matches where someone comes in and it's just kind of, oh, and here they are. But once Rick Rude comes in... This is a hunk. You think so? Yeah. It's literally people going, ow! Yeah, I bet. I don't know anything about WCW or really wrestling at this time, but I would be willing to bet that Rick Rude was the favourite of, like, all women at this time. <laughs> like, especially mums as well. Heel women, I think, like. I <laughs> want to send my mum a picture of Rick Rude because I think she'd have a big, big crush on him. Really? Oh, that's mm. interesting. You know what? Fans at home, send your mum a picture of Rick Rude and let's just kind of gauge this because I think that might be a good gauge to see if that's why we got the reaction we got here tonight. I like, think so. Everyone ask your mother. Proper Rick Rude as well, where he's got the nice moustache. And low-key, I think dads too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Men want to be him, women want to be with him. Well, he's got that kind of Tom Selleck moustache that all men fancy. <laughs> Tom Selleck fucking wishes. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat comes in, the resident high flyer in this match, so he starts using the roof for offence. Ricky Steamboat, I'm not really familiar with him, but I don't like the way he punches. Oh really? He does the kind of weird chops and stuff. It's just really over the top. It looks like he's doing a sea shanty. Kind of way he <laughs> waves his arm around. Just go, yo-ho, yo-ho, a baby face I am. <laughs> 
I think you're in reality, Joe. You're just sour that he gave out to Sandman for having an unlit cigarette. Yeah. The Sandman, by the way, folks, you know, checked out our episode, is now Joe's spirit animal, it seems. I love Sandman. Just fucking smashing beer cans in your head all week around the house. Mess everywhere. It's yeah. ridiculous. I love how they're using the time limit in this match. Because this is the, the, the third War Games I actually watched, and the first one where I felt that that time limit made people start going, oh, shit, like, something's gonna happen. Because you had, like, the wrestlers, like, literally about to explode mm. right by the door and the referee's holding them back they're like come on let me in and when they come in then it's like a real big deal yeah having the two teams on either side as well really helped with mm. that and having like the team leader because you've obviously got Sting on one side and you've got Dangerously on the other and it's really cool the way the kind of the heels versus the faces are both showing their anticipation yes. of getting in on the match yeah yeah and I love like kind of the, the Dangerous Alliance just waiting for when they're going to have the advantage again like and it's constantly plotting and scheming and talking about like what they're going to do next and whispering and it's really really cool it's really great it's like it's so funny considering that Paul Heyman who is as anti-WCW as it gets and was like viewed as being a pariah and ostracized from that company he gets their concept better than pretty much anyone else we've seen in this and he's not even a fucking wrestler as well <laughs> Aaron Anderson comes in and he hits a beautiful sick spine buster we did have actually a Facebook comment specifically asking Joe your thoughts on Arn Anderson being that he appears in so many war games matches what you mean? What on his wrestling or how he looks or bit of everything? People love him because he's a he's the innovator of the spinebuster. He made that spinebuster a thing of beauty, really snappy offense, and also a stone cold slice of bear meat. He is definitely a hunk, that's mm. for sure. I didn't really like what he was wearing to this match because it was like a pair of little white trunks. Oh, yeah, why would you wear white to a war game? To games? a war game. That's like literally wearing white to someone else's wedding. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. inappropriate because. I mean, real human blood mm. often dries brown. and It does, and when you're in a match this long and people are bleeding within two or three minutes. Yeah, Steve Austin at this point is covered. And it's all over the ring floor. It's disgusting. It's like, oh, what's that pattern on the ring? I didn't know rings had floor. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's just vast quantities of blood. It's really shocking because WCW have the blue mats. And I literally think they have blue mats to disguise the fact that they are so covered in blood. Because mm. it's only when you're right up close, you're like, hang on, ah, it's fucking gross. But yeah, Arn Anderson does look like he's either had an accident or sat in a not entirely cooked brownie and yeah he's, he's made a mess yeah it's not <laughs> it's not a good look for him i'm really feeling bad it's the first proper Arn Anderson match you've seen it looks like he shit himself that might color your opinion of him people are like oh i bet you think he's a hunk you know the real hairy guy who shat himself <laughs> <laughs> everyone is is just disgustingly covered in blood everyone is filthy mm. And you've got a point where Barry Windham like gets Steve Austin's bloodied face and he like starts like trying to eat it and it's like oh, oh blah, 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 it's bleh, fucking gross. What disgusted you more? The blood in this or the blood for instance, you know, I remember when we were watching Sabu and Sandman and there was a lot of heavy bleeding and spikes and forks and whatnot. What was on your squeamo meter where where was which was the worst? They're very two different things because like that one with Sandman was bad because it had a fork, which I'm very icky about being stabbed with forks. Oh, it's not nice. No. <laughs> Whereas this was horrible because it was just everywhere. And mm. it was like, they're literally just everywhere. Mm. It's kind of, I almost became desensitised to it. It's like a mist of blood in the air. Like, I feel in a match, if someone is going to bleed, 
And, you know, I think blood can be used in wrestling very effectively if he's limited. But when someone bleeds, it should be a, a moment, you know. It should be like, oh, my, they're blood. And I kind of felt like I, someone, the camera would cut and you come back and there was two more lads who were bleeding. Yeah, everyone was bleeding. Yeah, it's kind of, I just expected at ringside Paul Heyman to start bleeding as well. <laughs> and all the fans like, yeah, and they'd all start bleeding as well. Yeah, maybe. and his phone, it's just made of blood. <laughs> Speaking of his phone, at one point we have Medusa climbing up the uh, side of the cage. So Medusa, also known as Alundra Blaze, if you are a uh, recent fan, you're watching any of their, you know, she's appeared quite a few times on like their pre-show panel and stuff, famously including the time when she was asked who thinks would win the Women's Royal Rumble and she couldn't think of a single name. Eee! Oh, that's awkward. But very accomplished women's wrestler in her own right. So she climbed the cage with the phone in hand. Yeah, to I drop thought, it in like. Yeah, it was a bit confusing. Smuggling a phone in jail or something like Orange is the New Black or, <laughs> or what have you. I thought it was nice though that she was um, allowed to wear bicycle shorts under her dress. Oh yeah, because she had like a very sparkly short mini dress. Yeah. And climbing up a cage, I mean, that ain't fucking easy to do by the way. She did it barefoot because yeah. she was wearing heels. Like, you know. Amazing. Pretty impressive. So she climbed up the thing but yeah, very smart, thought ahead, wore bicycle shorts. You were saying if it was ECW and Heyman was in charge, it probably would have been a different story. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Climb the cage news, please. <laughs> I found that the awkwardness of the middle ropes was quite a hindrance throughout this match. It's interesting because this was the match where they did some spots with that gap. They did, they did. They did a part where uh, both with Rick Rude and Aaron Anderson where... Actually, the first time they did it with Aaron Anderson, it was almost missed by the camera. He was literally turned upside down, his head stuck in between the bits and the ropes, and they were like shaking his head like they were going to like break his head off. Yeah, and then they did it with Rick Rude, and only they, they made it pulled, worse because yeah. they pulled his legs apart and like they were going to split him in two. They know his weakness. They know that he skips leg day. They're going to try to break him off. You fool, Rick Rude. If you hadn't <laughs> skipped leg day, your legs would be stronger. I loved that spot so much. I thought it was terrifying. I genuinely was concerned for their well being. It was a great spot. But it's not worth the time and energy and the pacing lost when they have to climb through one pair of ropes Mm. and then through another pair of ropes. A really cool moment in the match was when Sting gets brought into the ring and Sting is the the champion. He's the fiery baby face and he goes straight for Rick Rude and he presses him over his head and starts like bench pressing him but he does it into the cage mm. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal yeah that was cool it was one of my favourite spots I think I've seen in all of War Games and then we have Nikita Koloff who's brought in and that means the match beyond officially begins at that point and we've got Bobby Eaton in and then Nikita Koloff come in so all 10 men are in the ring the match beyond begins and they immediately start teasing dissent that this sneaky Russian is going to come in and uh, betray everyone in America and I had to say, Joe, it was a fairly grim thought that 1992 Southern good old boy WCW offered a more inclusive worldview than current the world does in 2018. Yep. He wore a jacket that said world peace. That's nice, isn't it? He helped sting to his feet and the crowd were like literally like in tears going, yes, world peace. Better there's 10 men in there kill each other. The 20 million out there dying on a battlefield. It's like Rocky IV is great. How far we've fallen. Yeah, I mean, we have, on the roster currently in WWE in 2018, I'd say there's at least three people who have the evil foreigner gimmick. Well, you've got Jinder Mahal, 
Rusev. Rusev. Lana to an extent. Lana and also the Singh brothers. Yeah, that's true. All of them which are kind of betraying off like the you Americans. Yeah, that's yeah. the gist of it, you know. Um, so it's funny to think, yeah, that 1992, WCW. Think of the people who are booking that show. They're really, really racist, a lot of them. Like, And they are like, yeah, world peace, America and Russia coming together. I, I both loved it and also kind of made me go, ooh. Like, I, <laughs> I aged a few in years. So the Dangerous Alliance, I think this is what they were talking about when Haven was like, if we can get that corner, it'll work. They start disassembling the top row. That's why they need the blueprints. Ah, of course, because it's quite a complicated thing. It's like. actually an IKEA instruction manual. It's like how to disassemble. <laughs> Have you got your Allen key? Yes. Have you got at least two people? Yes. <laughs> and Steve Austin's really frustrated. He's like, God damn, Polly, these wooden pegs have got stuck in. I need a pliers. <laughs> and so, yeah, they decide to disassemble and take it apart. Mm. The idea is, like, there's this big, dirty, long spike from the turnbuckle, which Sabisco gets, and he looks like he's literally going to try and kill someone with it. I saw a match live once at Ring of Honor where the top rope broke like that, and the entire top rope was gone, and they continued the match. They finished it off. And they did things like, it was a Casey Sono, Chris Hero was in the match. He like he picked up the top turnbuckle and like ran wilder in the ring, hitting everyone with it. And uh, Hunico, who's Sin Cara, he like did all the dives off the top, like little tiny pole because there was no um, turnbuckle up there. So he's like stood in this tiny little, like maybe three or four inches space to do his dives off. It was incredible. Like, wow. but that's the good thing about war games. You got two rings. You can one, a special ring to ruin. And then you got the other ring as well. I was thinking of a new match type, which I think would be quite entertaining mm-hmm. instead of war games. Yeah. You have four teams, mm-hmm. you have two teams fighting in the ring, and then you have one team to disassemble the ring, and then another <laughs> team to reassemble it. Oh, I like that a lot. Meanwhile, the two other teams have to obviously continue the wrestling match. And if there's no ring to wrestle in, you automatically lose, I'm assuming. I don't know. I hadn't thought about the rules. <laughs> oh, we'll have seven pages. We'll work it out in them. Someone will write out an essay about how the rules work, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll figure it out around slide five or six, I reckon. Yeah. So Larry Zabisco inadvertently bops Bobby Eaton with the turnbuckle spike. Sting takes advantage, locks in an arm wrench. Bobby Eaton quits. Sting squadron are victorious. And we end this match a total bloodbath. Everyone lying in an absolute heap as the Dangerous Alliance all start giving out and blaming each other. I will admit, as soon as the match beyond begins, that was when the match almost kind of went in a downward spiral for me because it was so full... There were so many things going on. I didn't really know what to make of it. No, it was chaos. But Joe, considered to be by many the quintessential War Games match, how did you find Wrestle War in 1992? I thought it was all right. It wasn't great. Um, I thought the cage style and the two rings, if anything, were um, restrictive. Right felt that there wasn't as impressive wrestling as there could have been. Do you mean like restrictive for the viewer or for the actual wrestlers? Both. Okay. Because of course you've got, like I said, you've got those middle ropes. I think it'd be better off with like a custom two ring Mm. ring. Yeah, yeah. Where you've only got one rope in the middle. And then in fact you've got like the cage as well so it's hard to see what's going on. And yeah, I don't know. It was just a bit... I thought it was a little bit cumbersome. Mm. It's interesting because I think the things I liked about the match most were... 
the the actual countdown of people coming in, I felt that was a really unique take on like, you know, hot tags almost. Like kind of you need that person to come in and save someone. I thought that was really, really cool. I thought that the crowd was super hot for it. I loved that there was little stories playing out, like the Dangerous Alliance not liking each other as much, or like Sting and Akila Koloff having history. So I thought those are the strengths. And mm. I certainly felt though that all my favourite things happened in the front half of the match. And that's bad, I think, because if everything that I enjoyed happened before the match beyond and supposedly that now the match really begins. And I found that happened in the other two we watched as well with these traditional rules, with the Shopmaster match and also the original one that I watched with uh, the, the first one. I felt that once the match beyond begins, the ring was so full and everyone was so exhausted and so fucking bloody. And the other thing which really shocked me was the sweat. Yeah. These guys were fucking drenched. Yeah, they were. They were, yeah. <laughs> Very shiny men. Why were they so sweaty? Maybe because they're not actually as physically fit as current day wrestlers because they're all upped on steroids. That's probably, I mean, yeah, I've, there's a lot of, there's a lot of powders and tablets being shared amongst the gentlemen that were in the ring. Not to say everyone in there was on, on the gas, but certainly there was definitely people there who were partaking. Well, I have no doubt. The, the sweatiness of this match to the NXT match we, we watched later. Which is half the length, by the way. Yeah. That was like a 40-minute match. This is around 20 minutes. Yeah. And the guys in this were... I don't say they exerted themselves less. They, you know, they put on a fucking hell of... They gave you everything that they had. But they were fucking dead, dead, dead. And maybe that could actually explain a lot of the slowdown in the end as well, was the fact that people were just fucking knackered. Mm. I mean, Steve Austin must have been fucking exhausted at the end of it. Yeah. I just feel with, like, matches like War Games, if you're going to have, you know, 10 people in the ring at the end, Mm. I think at that point you have to have certain people kind of knocked out Mm. and sort of made themselves vanish a bit into the corner. It just got too confusing when you've got all these guys in the ring. Everyone's covered in blood. All the gear looks brown. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of fucking blood. It was gross. Have you got a star rating for this one then? I originally gave this two out of five stars. Oh. And then I changed it okay, because of Rick Rude and stunning Steve Austin. I, I'm giving it a hunk star. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's three stars. So two stars for the actual match, match, but an extra star because they were pleasant to watch. Yeah. Okay, very good. So War Games, many felt went kind of downhill from here. People said that 1992 in many ways was the peak because the following year was the one which we watched with uh, you know, Shockmaster Definitely didn't have the heat that this one had, I don't think you could say. And subsequent War Games matches, one of the most profound uses of War Games was in 1996. That is something they used the War Games match to further the storyline with the NWO and Sting. And honestly, the match itself isn't as good. The storyline is very, very good and it'll be much more relevant when you and I eventually do an episode on Sting or the NWO. War Games, by the late 90s, ended up being used kind of, you know, once a year as kind of the big match, usually involving the NWO. But most of the people in charge thought the War Games was kind of, was old hat, really. People like Eric Bischoff, for instance, who would have been the uh, executive producer of the show at the time. There was kind of a, a, a difference in WCW in the late 90s when these kind of, you know, Eric Bischoff and whatnot took over. They viewed the product as they had changed it. They had made it kind of cool and interesting with, with new young stars like, you know, Goldberg and DDP and whatnot. And, you know, bringing people like Hogan and stuff. They kind of felt that the war games made people think of the NWA and the 1980s and old stuff like Ric Flair and Tully Blanchard and the Legion of Doom. Stuff that wasn't 
cool anymore in the late 90s. So it was not featured as much. And it actually disappeared altogether. Until it was brought back in the year 2000. By a plucky, intrepid young writer by the name of Vince Russo. Who liked War Games so much, he decided to change it entirely and call it War Games 2000. And I swear to fucking God, this is the actual tagline, Russo's Revenge. Oh, fuck off. What do you know about Vince Russo? Um, He's not appeared a whole ton yet on this podcast, to be honest. No, he's not. I know he was a writer for WCW. Mm-hmm. I know that he liked to kind of fan self-insert into a lot of wrestling canon. A little bit of a giveaway here is the fact Russo's that... Russo's fucking revenge. The match beyond is now Russo's revenge. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Let's see, what else? Uh, I don't know very much about Russo, to be honest. I know he's a really controversial figure in mm. the wrestling industry. Like, right, A lot yeah. of people hate him. A lot of people love him. I watched the video that someone made from the clip from the Attitude Era podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. Where you summarise all the good and bad things he's done. Yeah, which got us blocked uh, on Twitter by Vince Russo. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for making the video anyway, whoever did it. That was really nice. I love that video. It's great. <laughs> so I know that he's done like kind of a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. But also a bit of good. So you mentioned, I think, when we did our China episode yes. that you had done some research on Russo. Yeah, well, only he came up because a lot of the interviews after her death or even actually before her death, when, when she was kind of kicked out of WWE and then went to Japan and everything, mm. he stayed in touch with her, I think, a lot more than a lot of other people from that yeah. circle. He's one of the few people, like I think him and Mick Foley and mm. Steve Austin were the only names of people who were kind of saying good about her or kind of wanting to defend her in any way. Yeah. But Russo seemed to be the most um, vocal, I think. And I know when, when things were getting really bad for her with her um, drinking problem and drug addiction and everything, mm. she would call him up at like three in the morning or he'd call her up and stuff and he'd check in on her and just make sure that she's okay. Yeah, and yeah. From what I heard, he seemed to be quite a good supportive friend, which is nice. <laughs> so that's kind of all I know about him, really. <laughs> what a weird fucking backdrop to go into this Russo's revenge match. I mean... People want, everyone said, this is the one. If you want to do a bad one, do this one, because this is the fucking worst of the worst of the worst. There's been some rule changes, Joe. There's been some format changes, because that old war games with the two rings and the two cages, that's totally old hat. Can you describe the format or what the look is of our new war games? 2000. I think I described it pretty perfectly earlier when I compared it to a a, like a tiered wedding cake. Should I compare thee to a wedding cake? It's yeah. Vince Russo's showstopper, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, the Great it's a big cage on the bottom with the... It's still got the two rings in the middle, hasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then it's got like a smaller cage on top and that's got a referee on it. And then there's an even smaller cage on top of that, which also has a referee on it. Now, the weird thing about this particular cage match style is that the cages also have doors on them. Yes, which is so, really strange. So it's like a hell in a cell with like a normal cage and then like a shark cage, I guess. But there's a ladder match within it because then at the top of the very third top, top cage, there's a belt. <laughs> okay, so this is where it gets really, really, really confusing. This is where it gets really confusing. Yeah, that would that all made sense because at least I can explain all that in the sense, okay, yeah, there's cages and you have to ascend the cages. There is a belt up there. Now, the belt is the World Heavyweight Championship and the rule of the match is... Whoever gets up to the top and gets that belt, if they bring it to the bottom and then escape, 
they're the world champion. They win. They didn't match. make that very clear, by the way. They just said you got to get the belt. You got to get the belt. Didn't make it clear in any sense that I could tell about the actual escaping with the belt. I kind of yeah. I thought it would be like a King of the Hill type of scenario. You have to get up there, get the belt, and like hold you know, hold your ground for a period of time. But instead, it was a capture the flag. You had to go up there and then bring it back down into the safe zone. Now that's all well and good. Actually, in terms of a match idea, it's like if you had like 10 guys or 10 women or whoever all in the ring and they all have to scramble up this three-tiered cage and get a belt at the top. That would be cool. That sounds amazing. Can you imagine people like literally like crawling their hands, creeping out of the final cage and like being pulled back down or whatever. But no, it's two teams. Yeah. Two teams who are working together. So what, the team wins the belt? No, whoever has the belt wins. So it's the announcers literally are saying, you got teams here, but it's every man for themselves. So the teams, psh, they might as well go right out the window. Well, then why are we having alternating entrances of teams? It's so awkward because like in this match, I tried to find out who was in the match. Just simply, who's who are the participants? The participants of the match. And I swear to God, I wrote down the participants in the match as advertised, mm. but because of a story that happened in the show, the people advertising the match didn't come out. Right. We helpful. were told at the start it was going to be Vince Russo in the match, but then during the show it said, no, Vince Russo, psh, see you later, bye, he's out of the match. No, he's in the match anyway. And then another guy was meant to be in the match, and he was taken out and replaced with a tag team, which meant that the other match, other team added a tag team as well for no reason. Oh. <sighs> When you've not got teams as well, when it really is just fighting for a belt, it's basically just a Royal Rumble. It is, yeah. And that's another change from this match that you have, other than pretty much everything else about war games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how you win, the format of the match, how it looks, how it's devised, all of that's different. But and also, Vince Russo's there. Oh, also Vince Russo's there as well. But you don't have the teams at ringside. No. And you don't have the coin toss at ringside. It's just like, yeah, obviously the heels have got the numbers advantage. But people have entrances and they come out. And for me, I think that actually ruined one of the best things about the match. It was the fact that I think they were so gung-ho. It's like, everyone's got a cool entrance music and everyone wants to have their cool moment in the spotlight and come out with their big titantron and their cool music. And you ended up losing a lot because you wanted to have the people out there at ringside kind of going, I want to get in, I want to get in, as opposed to just coming out and doing their usual entrance. Yeah, it sets the pacing off really strangely and it means that there's like no no sense of urgency. Because one of the really cool things about the other War Games match, the one at Wrestle War, was you've got the two teams on the other side and they're both clamouring to get in the mm. next person. You've got Sting literally pounding on the tables, on the cage, like screaming to get in. You've got Paulie dangerously scheming with his, his pals, like, who's going to get in next right if it's you you do this if it's them blah blah there's action happening outside of the yeah. ring in a sense yeah so you get this kind of feeling like like with a Royal Rumble of kind of like oh, what's going to happen everyone feels like anticipated as to what's going to happen next and whereas this is just like well and then you've got like a long entrance and it comes like make your long way to the ring like I think if you see your wrestlers out there looking like nervous and excited and anticipation and wanting to get in there mm. you want you that's infectious you want to see them get in there yeah whereas if they're just kind of strolling out to their entrance music looking all cool well for one it's really confusing then as to who's on whose team not yeah. that that even matters apparently <laughs> but then also yeah the pacing is odd I mean, I think you've literally just summed up Vince Russo's entire writing style with the phrase, I can't tell who's on whose team. That's pretty much what he goes for. So the teams in this match actually were Team Russo, which was the World Heavyweight Champion, Kevin Nash, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, Vince Russo, who is the writer of the show, and the Harris Brothers, 
taking on Sting, Goldberg, Booker T, and Chronic. So, Chronic are a tag team, by the way. <laughs> I mean, we, I'll announce it now. Joe and I, it's not next, but very soon, and it's going to be a fucking behemoth. We are doing Vince Russo. <gasps> that is coming. That's and this was your little your little taster in here. Little little sprinkle in there. When you found out that Vince Russo, and you knew him as like being, you know, you know, guy who talked about China and guy who was a writer, were you shocked to see him in a war games match? I was a little surprised <laughs> to see a hockey player come out and then oh it's it's the writer of the show. Why is he here? Why is he involved in all of this? Why is he he suddenly starts like interfering with people and then you've got like Kevin Nash like attacking him and stuff. It's like makes no sense. And because you've got the weird teams but the not teams and Vince Russo just seems to be being attacked by everyone. And- yeah, that is a really horrible thing is that they do a, an angle right before this where it's like, wait a minute, I don't think Team Russo are getting along. So we start things off with Jeff Jarrett and Sting. What do you think of this version of Sting? We've got Second Evolution Sting, yeah, he's, he's finally fully evolved in his crow form. Now, you actually showed me the crow. I, I did. It's really funny. It's like, like how I convinced you to watch it. It's yeah. like, look, it's the wrestler. He's in it. <laughs> I remember all the time thinking, no, no, people just be hating on Sting. There's no, no, you're not ripping off the crow. You, you're, you're ripping off the crow, mate. Yeah, you're ripping off the crow. Sting's great. It just happened to exist, you know, around the same time. Two separate things, you know, just great minds think alike. Yeah, what it pretty much is, is, yeah, is the crow. Is it's literally the crow. We'll still do a sting episode don't worry but just so you know joe has seen the crow and therefore has a huge head start on most of this character (laughs) yay joe you want to know his backstory uh does his wife get brutally raped and murdered Oh no, that's that's true. Russo wasn't writing at the time, I guess. So what's that like? <laughs> Otherwise, that definitely would have happened. Almost definitely would have happened. Where's my coin toss? Huh? Where's my football? I want my coin toss. We got Scott Steiner coming. People come out quick and fast in this as well. And also, very very interesting. This is was on Nitro, which is WCW's version of like Monday Night Raw, basically. So they didn't put this on a pay per view. And what I loved about it was that the announcer at the start said, "For the first time on television." Other than pay-per-view, it's war games. (laughs) It's like, what? So those other few ones that weren't on television, I guess. Um, Yeah, so everyone's coming out quite quick. Scott Stein is out next. He's got his face mask on. And then we have everyone's favorite tag team, uh, Chronic. What do you think of Chronic, Joe? A couple of of guys look like they enjoy uh, 420, if you know what I'm saying. I actually had to quickly Google them because I'd already forgotten them. They're so boring. Well, he didn't like their their cool outfit, their cool little uh, goatees. They wore grey t-shirts and just, black just, trousers. Just wear normal. They're wearing normal clothes. Well, I thought Chronic's idea was, Joe, was that they were going to camouflage themselves in the grey and black of the cage by wearing grey and black, meaning that you would definitely not know us or see them. Yeah. I forgot there was two of them at several points. It's like, oh, there he is. Wait, there's a... Oh, of course, it is Chronic. There are two of them. <laughs> Chronic... I didn't realise as well... That it was supposed to be uh, like a marijuana reference. Yeah, I said, yo, chronic. You know, see, so it's meant to be like, and you're like, what? Uh, chronic. Never, never heard that before. The finisher is called High Times. Okay. But you wouldn't have guessed that they their gimmick is supposed to be anything to do with marijuana culture. Oh, come on, Joe. We've seen the old classic Cheech and Chong movies. You know, Cheech and Chong in their very serious muscle shirts walking slowly with death grips and death stares. 
you know, very, very serious individuals no, smoking the doobie doobie doos. I've not seen that. What's that referencing? Oh, I was referencing classic stoner comedy. I've like, uh, you know. not seen any stoner comedy. Uh, you know, you're Jay and Silent Bob, you know, pretty much chronic to a T is what they were, you know? It's, yeah, it's like if Silent Bob were two of them, if yeah. they were just both Silent Bob. And somehow less charismatic than Kevin Smith, like, you know. <laughs> somehow they've figured that out, like. If I was going to film a biopic of Vince Russo's life, sorry, got a bit off topic here, but I would cast Kevin Smith, I think, to play yeah. him. Oh, that, that would work actually, wouldn't mm, it? Yeah. I think so. He's got the kind of the sad weariness. Yeah, he looks a bit weary here. The do you think? Self-loathing, but also he's really trying hard to convince himself that he he's happy. People start going into the second tier of the cage, and the second tier of the cage. <laughs> I call it cake, though. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. It's got a good, nice, uh, nice, light, lovely sponge in there in the second tier. But inside the second tier, we're filled with uh, raisins. Sorry, no uh, weapons. Are, are dotted all throughout. There's uh, your favourite, the Singapore cane. There's mm. some bins in there and all that. When Scott Steiner's in there and he's slowly like bumbling around and it is very obviously like kind of a nest underneath them, it's really like Scott Steiner's in like the crystal maze and he's been like, no, Scott, no, you have to get the pliers, Scott. Huh? What am I doing over here? No, Scott, you gotta, you gotta use the pliers. <laughs> Scott, the pl- the pliers, Scott, the ones right there. Then Richard Bryan turns over and goes, I don't think that uh, the genetic freak over here is going to actually figure this one out in time. You have made me really want a modern war games match with Richard Ayoade on commentary. <laughs> I would fucking kill for that. All right, we're talking about little changes we'd like to make mm. to the war games formula. I would like, instead of having you know the, the teams coming out individually, have the teams at each side with a maze master who, when it's their time to come in, grabs them by the wrist and brings them into the into the war games cage. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to the war games maze, you know, off we go. And like. then like scolds them for not cooperating enough during the match. Uh, unfortunately, Scott Steiner was not able to solve the mystery and he gets locked in the second tier. So <laughs> Russo is not gonna have as much time to gather all of the gold tickets at the end of the final cage up at the top. I do like that much like with a showstopper cake, yeah. the uh, the cage each has its own separate filling. Yeah, a separate special... unique filling and layer. It's very yeah. important. Mary Berry would be horribly upset with a showstopper that didn't have a different you know flavour for each tier. <laughs> you've got to really show the effort that you've put in. It's the showstopper around. You know, you've really got to prove, prove no that you point. deserve to be here at this point in the competition. Well, there's no point having different tiers if you're not going to make a different cake in each one. A lovely surprise in exactly. each one is what you need. Exactly. So, about the ladders, mm-hmm. this was very confusing to me, okay. first of all, that there was even any weapons in the match, because, like, as far as I'm concerned, if you've got three cages, you've maybe got enough of a, a thing going on there, and you don't probably need ten bins and seven ladders oh, and yeah, you're fourteen tables. You are wondering about DQs, weren't you? Well, Why yeah. do I, there are no DQs in a War Games match. Is that like... because it's only submission or surrender? Uh, yes, I guess so. That would mean there's no you can't win the match or by any other way, so there can't be disqualifications, I guess. I don't like that. Really? You think there should be DQs in a war games? I'm not sure if I think there should be DQs. It's just, mm, I guess no, maybe I am saying that. But it's weird because it did feel like this with this match that it was just like a hardcore match that was happening yeah. inside the structure. There was well, a ladder, there was some you know chairs, there were some bits and bobs. Yeah, this match is at what, a street fight, a ladder match... A Royal Rumble. Hell in a Cell. A Hell in a Cell. Cage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a little bit of War Games in there as well, I guess. I guess a tiny bit of War Games. It's in the name. That's about as far as it goes. So what, the, they have the ladders, though, mm-hmm. to get up to the higher cages? Yeah, I think it was to, to, to ascend into Tier 2. And what was annoying about it was is that 
they didn't make a big deal. Like, I remember I blinked and you missed it. Like, you look down and there was someone coming out to the ring. They look up and all of a sudden Scott Steiner and Chronic are bopping around upstairs in the second you cage. bopping. Wandering around. What, well, Joe? They've got nets under their feet. It's like you know, in Play Zone when you have to walk across the big. It's like an old couple in MNS. <laughs> oh, the quality just isn't what it used to be. I used to be able to come in here and get a plain black cardigan, but now the quality is too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're up there. It is kind of like a play zone type thing, isn't it? Like a fun house type scenario. Yeah. And we've got like kind of the net underneath you. They're walking very carefully. They don't want to fall into the ball pit underneath you. Oh, that'd be bit... great. I want a ball pit war games. Yes, 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 yes. Get rid of all the weapons. Yep. You don't fucking need them. It's ridiculous. Get rid of those weapons. Happens, put a ball pit in at the bottom. That would work. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see someone take a big slam onto and some uh, balls. put a fireman's <laughs> pole oh! right through the middle. Yes, so, someone's slipping down yeah, that pole. You have a couple of people who think that their special technique to win is going to be to climb the pole, but it's too slippery. No one's got no one's got the leg, mm. the lower leg strength. You're the likes of like Randy Orton who can't climb it because he's got too much oil on his body. Exactly, like, yeah. You know? And then you get the person who actually manages to get the belt from the top and they can use it to slide down. But surrounded by enemies at the bottom. Oh, that's very, very... Lots of fun things you could do with that in there. I mean, I thought, like, a, maybe a rope or a rope ladder or something yeah. even to climb up. It's just... They got up there quite... Rather quite quickly. And once they're up there in that second cage, I can't see shit. The no, you can't camera. See shit. And they can't do anything. No. They both... They all look either too nervous or just not bothered enough to do anything. They are just wandering around. They're very obviously in no peril, though, because it looks like you've got a big net there. They're not going to collapse through that. No. Like it's, it's grand. There's like four of them stood on it, and it's like bouncy on them. They're all right. Like. But yeah, you can't see shit from the camera because it's really dark in there, and everyone's wearing dark clothes. It's a dark fucking camera shot. You've got this big, massive cage, and... You can't see diddly boo. It's like camouflage, basically. A lot of the guys from a distance look quite similar as well, mm. to the point where I was so grateful when Booker T eventually made his way to the ring. It's particularly silly when Kevin Nash comes out, who looks like he looks like he's been called in. It's like he was told it was his day off, like, and he was planning on fucking chilling like a villain. You know, he's got his flip flops on. He's made some scrambled eggs. He's he's not in any rush to go anywhere comes out with all the speed of a man reading a Sunday newspaper. <laughs> and he gets into the ring and immediately this really weird thing where it's like, wait a minute, he's going for Vince Russo. And they're like, whoa, you can't go for Vince Russo. He's a teammate. And they're like, wait a minute, he's going for the next teammate. And then they do the same thing like with every teammate. He puts his hand around going, you, now you. And he looks like he's about to burst out laughing because he knows how shit it is. He knows he doesn't have to do any actual wrestling. It's great. This is just a weekend for him. Now... The other War Games matches, even the ones that were, like, unspectacular in senses, they all bet the fucking shit out of each other. To a fault, almost. Like, they were giving you too much, given the crowd reaction. They were busting each other wide open. Horrible bumps. Horrible fucking brawls. Hard way in everyone. And in this match, it really felt like everyone is playing playing wrestling, like. Well, I suppose when you've got such a ridiculous match type, when you've got, like, three cages on top of each other, all these bins, ladders, it's just mad, chaotic madness. I'm not really surprised that they felt little inclination to put on 
a big impressive show because it's kind of like you know it's already done isn't it shit it's such a toxic fucking like I think one of the best things about wrestling in the last few years everything's oh oversaturation and that is an issue I think but the main thing about it is that it's just causing everyone to up their game like they're here the wrestling is so great at the moment on WWE's main show while well, NXT is put on you know so many five star matches on one pay-per-view and you hear that the shows that are happening the indie shows at the Wrestling Mania weekend were even better than that so everyone still seems to be trying to improve and best everyone here it just feels like ah you know it's taken nice and easy the, the line on commentary that really stuck my craw kevin nash has wrestled a very smart match it's what we're <laughs> putting it i guess no shit he hasn't left his feet vince russo coming out joe yeah what do you think about his uh his, his ring attire his gimmick well i don't know why he's dressed as a hockey player he likes hockey is that it legitimately Russo had inserted himself. This is no cave in real life. He put himself in a bunch of matches. He has no training and he got concussions. So he made it a gimmick was that to protect himself from concussions, he's wearing this match, wearing all the protective hockey gear. And the United States, because it's, you know, it's the year 2000, before we know that, you know, surprisingly, that thing that makes you feel incredibly sick and incredibly unwell and makes you feel like you're living underwater and wrings your brain, those are bad. They're not to be snuffed at concussions. But back in 2000, Literally, the angle was, oh, Vince Russo, because of his concussion, has to wear this helmet. Can you imagine? Here's a fucking idea. Don't wrestle if you have to fucking wear protective gear to stop getting a concussion. Seriously, like, that was his, like, oh, I'm getting so many concussions because I don't know how to wrestle properly that I have to wear a helmet. So we could, I guess, wear a helmet or wild idea. You could learn how to wrestle and then do it safely, not hurt yourself and others. What did you think of him being here in this match? Because it's like... It feels like the world is really trying to tell him that, no, you shouldn't do this. I mean, like, if you're getting these concussions, and he's he's really, really out of sorts. Like, he's really bad at this. Like, he's really bad at being in the right place at the right time. He's slow. He doesn't sell. He's like Vince McMahon minus the kind of... Vince, like, thinks he's convinced himself he's in a real fight. So Vince is like, ah, I'm going to get you. Like, he doesn't know the intensity. It's funny you say that, because that was, like, my first thought when he came out and was suddenly really involved in this match mm. out of nowhere was that what is he trying to be Vince McMahon <laughs> like it's really strange how he's just inserted himself with no context seemingly just like here I am I'm dressed as a hockey player and now I'm going to be involved in all the cool wrestlers in the ring but not doing anything I just get to have some cool moments I mean if you're going to do that what I'd like is you could do the whole like protective hockey gear gimmick if the, the match is you're taking on Vince Russo's guy and if you beat his guy you get five minutes in the ring with Russo alone or something like that he's like in his hockey gear like oh no don't hurt me and he's just to take a few shots but he's in this world championship match and they're constantly going on like he's going to win it as well yeah it's really strange <laughs> and it's confusing enough that the writer of the show is in wrestling because that makes no sense no. why have you got a surely if wrestling isn't fake yeah how do you explain like, you can explain Vince and kayfabe well, yeah. he's the owner of the he's show the owner of the company yeah. of course he's involved and like same as like general managers getting involved and stuff it makes yeah. sense in, in kayfabe in kayfabe but like what does he do as a writer then yeah it's like what are you what are you writing there in your office Vince uh, the finishes <laughs> of what the scripted wrestling matches why are we all here it's like literally I feel we're a question or two away from Vince Russo's face going like, you know, semi-transparent over the screen going, we's living in a dream. And then it being just completely <laughs> wild, rewriting the laws of nature and history. This whole thing 
honestly, to me, reminded me of... Now, okay, this is going to sound strange, but give me a second to okay. explain myself. It okay. reminded me of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> okay. Have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? No. Okay. But the reason it reminded me of Fifty Shades of Grey is because you've got an original piece of workmanship, okay? We're going to call that Twilight. Okay. Right? Now, most people would say Twilight isn't, you know, a perfect work of art by any means, you know? Okay. Let's compare that to War Games matches as a whole, okay? Not the best idea, but we're kind of making the best of a bad situation. You know, at least we can put Kristen Stewart in there. And, <laughs> you know, that's Kristen good. Stewart has more business being in War Games than Vince Russo does. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> and yes, those of you at home thinking, finally, they're drawing an analogy between War Games and Twilight at last. So, and then what you've got, so you've got Twilight and you've got a fan of mm. Twilight who's like, oh, I love Twilight. Oh, Edward Cullen's a really cool vampire and I really like the idea of, of vampires and whatever else is in Twilight. So I'm going to I'm gonna do my own version of Twilight. Okay. And so I'm going to write fan fiction of Twilight and I'm going to put myself in it. <laughs> and then I'm going to market it as a, as a kind of new spin-off of Twilight and I'm going to call it Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> uh, starring me, Vince Russo. <laughs> And I'm going to make myself the, the sexiest, most handsome, most powerful wrestler <laughs> of them all. Uh, and yeah, I am the writer and uh, also I'm a hockey player for some reason. And also I'm friends with all the other cool wrestlers. <laughs> and I'm also going to make it really big and three cages, even though it's supposed to be only two. And there's going to be all these other things going on and I win. Is your analogy, just so, so I've got it right in my head, are you yeah. saying that it's like Vince Russo is using Fifty Shades of Grey, just like using a pre-existing title like War Games and then just making his own weird thing? Or is Fifty Shades literally like someone... Is there a thing about that, about Fifty Shades being like fan fiction of... Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Fifty Shades of Grey is, fan fi- is Twilight fan fiction. Really? Yeah. That's actually a thing? That's actually a thing. That's 100% true. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, so <laughs> all I said right there is, is, is the truth. Yeah, yeah. Twilight, real book, obviously... Fan fiction author online, Stephanie Mayer, yeah. was like, oh, I love Twilight. I'm Are gonna, you serious? I am 100% serious. You can look it up. Oh, my God. Wrote her own fan fiction involving Edward Cullen and Bella and then was like, oh, I've got to change the names or else I'll get sued. Changed it to Mr. Grey and I don't know the other the name of the other character. Wow. Made uh, millions and millions and millions of money out of making literally fan fiction. And of course, we all know Vince Russo made millions and millions and millions of dollars <laughs> from War Games 2000 Shades of Grey here. His problematic version of War Games. <laughs> all right, here's what... This is literally where we're watching this match. All of a sudden, the next participant comes out and it's fucking Goldberg. And I'm like, finally again, for like the 90th time, like, here we go, baby! Joe, here comes Goldberg! You're finally going to get it. You're finally going to understand. Goldberg, he's going to come out and kill... Everyone, he gets handcuffed immediately and just sits down in the corner going, nah, nah, I've been handcuffed. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) I don't know where they got the handcuffs from. I didn't see any handcuffs anywhere. Pockets, mate. I'm pretty sure. Like, Rooster's got big trousers on him here. That's bullshit that wrestlers get pockets, but women, (laughs) we don't even get pockets. Are you serious? So we are down to nine competitors are in the match. Uh, we have the Harris brothers have come out as well with Russo. There's only one person left to come in and it's Booker T. And Booker T comes out. As he's coming out, it came apparent at this point that everyone in this match is kind of having a bit of a, a joke. Like, 
you've we talked before about how there is you know lots of brawling goes on there's loads and loads of shit and it kind of feels like people are just filling up the ring the problem about this is because we're in the year 2000 we got them wide camera shots you can see the whole cage and you can see that basically Goldberg sat down in the corner Kevin Nash is just kind of you know chilling out Russo's wandering around going oh no like people are all just pretending to to wrestle yeah no one's actually you know, doing a spot, doing a move, doing a finisher. It reminds me of, I used to play recorder, right? Do you ever play recorder? Oh, yeah, yeah, I play recorder. I don't know if it's a thing in America, but over in the UK and Ireland, when you're a certain age, you have to play the recorder. It's like the only mandatory music instrument, I think, that most schools have to learn. Yeah, you have to you have to play the recorder and you have to read Stig in the Dump and you have to do both yeah, those yeah. things before you're eight years old. Otherwise, you don't get your license as a young adult. You are literally aren't allowed to age past the age of eight. You have to stay eight forever. Yeah. You can't become nine. You'll have your party, like in The Sims, but they won't put the candle top on it that you blow and age up. It won't allow it. No. So the recorder was something I had to play, and I was quite bad at it. I mean, I could play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, mm. and I was always very nervous about how bad I was at it, because my brother excelled at it and moved on to clarinet. I was still doing recorder after a year. I was like maybe five or six years old. We had a big recital, a big recorder recital, and the recital starts, and there's like 20 of us playing you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and straight away, I do it all wrong, and I freak out. I'm like, oh no, I'm doing it all wrong. I don't remember anything about a recorder. And then, all of a sudden, everyone claps anyway. And I'm like, oh shit. No one seems to notice that I'm not actually doing anything much of anything at all. You know what that is? People did notice, but you were five years old. No I... one's going to be like, Oi, <laughs> you, kid in the front row, you're useless. Well, we moved on to Mary Had a Little Lamb. I literally was like, Here we go, baby, fucking jazz. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's what most of the wrestlers were doing here except I think I was doing better because I was like I'm going to have some fun here these lads here are like I'm not going to have some fun I'm just going to do nothing if I was like Kevin Nash here I just would have put down the recorder and stood in the corner with my, my legs crossed going oh look at them over there they're sure playing that recorder huh I only play recorder in the big towns though me <laughs> That's a great way to advertise this match by telling everyone that the wrestlers in it have the work ethic of a five-year-old in recorder class. <laughs> a shambolic five-year-old who's just discovered sin for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so Booker T gets the belt quite quickly when he comes in and he starts to descend. And all we're getting all the time as this all chaos is going on is they cut to Kevin Nash of him just reacting going, hmm, yeah. He doesn't got much of a reaction of anything happening. Nothing phases cool Kevin Nash. I had a problem with Booker T. He's trying to escape now with the title. Yes. Which, I mean, up until this point, I didn't realise he had to escape. I was really confused then. You like, thought he well, got the belt, he should win, right? Yeah, he won. You hold it on top of the fucking, top of the third cage. I've got the belt, I've climbed the mountain. You know the way everyone goes on, like, he climbed Everest and then he came back down to the foot of Everest and placed his flag there to indicate that he went up to the top and then back down to the bottom. <laughs> but why didn't he leave through the little door in the top cage and go down the outside? That's so, what I'd have done. Oh, yeah, well, you just want to like, zip right down. Like. Yeah, just climb down the outside. Yeah, he just kind of decided to go through to the danger zone. Throughout this match, there are loads of guys just outside the cages, mm. wandering around, climbing up them, like, look at us, we're busy, we're totally working, we don't have to serve customers. Maybe... <laughs> yeah, over the corner, Chronic are just taking shirts off and refolding them and making yeah. it look like they're I'm busy. I'm doing the washing up! <laughs> Sorry, I'm with a customer on the phone here, guys, I can't wrestle at the moment. <laughs> Maybe Booker didn't get a look at the schematics, like, maybe that's why he's unsure, like, he's just like, fuck it, he's got a GPS, he's going to make his... Make a beeline for it. <laughs> but you pointed out as he was descending, you go, what's going to happen if he drops the belt? And I was like, oh, uh, it's probably just some bad ending to the match, I'm assuming. 
Which, because then, <laughs> as he's trying to escape with the belt. Yeah. Meanwhile, by the way, Sting is also now somehow handcuffed. I think what is what's happening is lots of wrestlers been getting a bit tired, bored now. They're like, can, can you just handcuff me so I can not have to look like I'm pretending to do something anymore? I like to think there was probably a big high-profile meeting backstage, and it's like, okay, Goldberg obviously he gets handcuffed first because he he's the most valuable, and everyone's like. It's most valuable. He I, should only do one move. I should be handcuffed as well because I'm Sting and I I shouldn't have to wrestle. All right, this. all right, okay. So we're gonna we get handcuffed, Bob Goldberg. That's fine. And then, yep, Sting. That's fine. We'll handcuff you too. Right, fine. I fine. won't get handcuffed, but I get to be on a comfy turnbuckle at least and yeah. leaning against it. That's that's the only way I'll do it. And then Goldberg gets all unhappy and he's like, "Well, if Sting's getting handcuffed, it's not cool. I, mean, I don't want to be handcuffed if Sting's handcuffed. I'm gonna rip my handcuffs off. Okay? No, you can't just rip the handcuffs off, Goldberg. That makes no sense." So you'd have just done it straight away. Well, I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna rip them off when I decide to. So Goldberg rips off his handcuffs. He does, and uh, he rips it off. And, like he just stands up and decides, now I'm in the match. And they try to make it look so cool. They go, my God, Goldberg, he just broke cold steel. It really does bother me, by the way. <laughs> Considering it's Goldberg, he of all people should know the effectiveness of, of doing things at the right time, right? He comes into a match, he does his finisher straight away and he wins, right? That's the yeah. classic Goldberg formula. Yeah, yeah. He's handcuffed. He can, He has the ability and the strength to tear off his handcuffs, but he doesn't. He's like, no, I'm going to sit down for a bit. You know what I think is? I'm playing a lot of WWE champions at the moment, the uh, free-to-play uh, RPG match three puzzler. And what I think it is, is that Sting and Goldberg, they're VIP tier superstars who you only have access to if you have access to the VIP lounge and have paid your 329 for mm. the month. So, sorry, Russo, you've not got enough coin in the bank. You can't use the fancy new toys. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I wagered dollars to fucking donuts, right? Goldberg, the reason why he got handcuffed is because he wanted to come out last. And they said, no, Booker T is coming out last. And he said, fine, then you're going to handcuff me. I think he handcuffed himself. <laughs> right? I think he brought the handcuffs out in his little tiny black pants that have pockets for some reason. Yeah. And I think, yeah, he handcuffed himself, partly because he, yeah, like you said, he wanted to come out last. And also partly because I think he knows he can do two wrestling moves. And was like, you know what? I've got to keep my two wrestling moves for when they're actually relevant. So I'll quickly handcuff myself to the cage so I don't have to do anything for a while. Because I can't just copy what Kevin Nash is doing and just wander around looking bored. That's his gimmick. I can't just copy that. I've got to handcuff myself to the cage. And then he gets to the perfect moment where Booker T's climbed, he's got the title, he's climbed all the way down. And then Goldberg goes for him. His teammate. His teammate. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we've forgotten this entire match. Everyone's meant to be in teams as well, by the way. Yeah. Rips off the handcuffs, grabs the belt, and then he stops and he poses with the belt. And that is... That's the mistake he made because the fucking klutz, he only goes and drops the belt. <laughs> he literally just falls out of his hand. I mean, I know they're heavy. I bet they are. They really. are. I don't think I could hold them with my arthritic hands. I think I would definitely drop mine. But I'm not Goldberg. Maybe it's because his hand's been handcuffed up. His all the blood's. Oh, maybe out of that's hands. it. Yeah, like, he's dead a bit wonky. Like, oh no, I dropped it. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> it's so bad. Like it's almost as bad as the time when Goldberg wore the belt. He just cool. Like, did did did. His little kick and the bell fell off. Like it popped <laughs> off his chest. 
It's bad because this like is meant to be the match beyond there. This is like everyone's in the ring and this like hot sequence. And what we got instead is Goldberg like drops the belt after he tries to hold it. Then Nash does his move and Nash like holds up the belt like yeah. And then Vince Russo holds up the like, everyone just takes turns holding the belt going yeah. Get out the fucking door, you idiots. <laughs> such a battle of the egos yes but like the laziest egos ever yeah. they want all the credit all the fame and they want to do glory. anything cool though none of the work yeah Goldberg did fucking nothing just handcuffed himself to a cage the whole match and then dropped the belt when he finally got but the no belt. one did anything Kevin Ash just wanders around looking bored <laughs> grabbing his own teammates by the throat and Vince fucking Russo just squirms around looking like some kind of worm and we do manage to get run-ins from two different people the cat and Bret Hart both make an appearance this hideous match ends when it looks like Goldberg's gonna win he gets hit in the face in the cage by Bret Hart who comes in through the crowd and then Nash Jared Steiner and Russo all make out like they're gonna fight each other and then go ow it was all a hilarious swerve and we all hug and they leave together literally on commentary they say it's another famous Russo swerve Russo brand swerve TM like Ridiculous! I always think that Russo quickly after the match was like ran out. Was like, say it's another famous Russo swerve. Say it. No, I refuse. <laughs> so yeah, we watched the match like he's all wanted. It was fucking hideous. It made me appreciate the other War Games matches. It made me go think that there's obviously enough good in the War Games concept that you shouldn't change it this much because this was just fucking horrible. It's really strange to me that. Someone could look at a War Games match and think, you know what this needs? It needs to be more complicated. And more, like... Like, it's it's just... It, it seems like they're exposing it so much. Because when you have, like, it's like, the ten top guys in the world and they're all in the ring and they're locked in a cage and there's all these weapons, it's like, you know what? Like, it's fucking... This is your tip-top, tippity-top talent. Everyone's in here. Let's fucking see it, like, you know? And they're like, eh, we're not really gonna, you know... We're not actually gonna. It's just Sting and Goldberg and Kevin Nash and Scott, just the world champion and the fucking top contenders. And they all look so lazy in the fucking match. Considering what you could have done with that three tiered cage, which mm. actually I do like the concept. Oh, I love that. Cage. Yeah, I want that. I think there's a lot of potential there. But the fact that they did nothing with it. And as well, it's not like you haven't got the talent there. It's just literally the talent does not give a shit. Mm. I'd have loved to have seen like Scott Steiner powerbomb someone through like the middle cage, yeah. the lower cage, yeah. or something like that from the top cage. Set maybe. up the tables below yeah. and someone falls through or something just at least. one spot would have been nice. There wasn't a single spot in this <laughs> that made you... Th- Actually, that's it. That that's it. it. There wasn't there a wasn't. single spot in this. <laughs> Uh, you're rating for this, Joe. I and negative ratings are allowed. I guess that's all I'll say. No, I mean, I I found this was. <laughs> for fuck's sake! You're rating higher than Shane and Vince again, aren't you? What did I rate for Shane and Vince? One star. No comment. Okay, okay. This is a bad match. Yeah, it is a bad match. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun to watch match if you like to watch bad wrestling matches kind of like bad movies I think yeah. there's a certain kind it's like oh it's so bad it's watchable this kind of fits that because it's just absolutely it's ridiculous it's it's funny I, honestly yeah. it's funny and how like how frustrating it is I would say don't watch the whole show because if you watch a whole show of this type of booking it'll probably turn you off wrestling for life yeah. uh, you and I will be doing lots of that when it comes to our Russo episode oh just God. so you know. <laughs> So if you got any, you know, requests you want to become a backer, hurry up because we'll probably be finished this podcast in a month or two, right? You know, once we do this episode. But yeah, in isolation, it's funny to see 
so many people like work so little. If mm-hmm. you want to see like, if you really think someone looking back going, ah, oh, back in the day, 2000, that's when wrestling was at its peak. That's when we prop, proper wrestling, not like now. Honestly, compare and contrast that match with the next match that we're about to watch in terms of design, concept, innovation, actual fucking effort, you know? Yeah, but yeah. that being said, I I found this as entertainingly bad as I found the first match at Wrestle War to be entertainingly good. Right, okay, so we're two sides of the same coin line. Yeah, but without the honks to okay. keep me kind of entertained in that respect so i i gave it two stars okay which is higher than than shane and vince i suppose yeah it's pretty much everything you ever review is going to be higher than that we just accepted that fact We're also on. yeah technically i did kind of give that the same rating as the other war games match which i'm sure lots of people will be upset by i think they will be i think can't they believe will she be. rated them the same except for the mark for hunks hey now hunk mark is a it's a seal of approval right there you don't just hand those out okay so, do you wonder why War Games didn't happen then for another 17 years? Was it because of the disaster that was this match? I mean, not necessarily. No, Everyone looked at this and was like, no, we, we should never do this again. Funny, like, a lot of... I had a lot of reading about this. Is a lot of people have written articles about, you know, top 10 War Games matches, da, 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 and so many people are like, that's not even a War Games match. But the thing is, it was WCW's signature match. Like, it was the match that WCW did that no one else did. And it had a lot of imitators. Like, ECW did, like, kind of a, a team-based war cage type thing with only one cage. Uh, Ring of Honor have done it. CZW have done it. Uh, TNA had it for many, many years, the, the roofed cage. Like, they like to do that type of a match. There was always rumours from when WWE bought WCW's copyrights in 2001. There was constant rumours that they're going to bring back War Games match. And they constantly got shot down because there's one person who didn't like the War Games concept. Could you guess who it might be? In WWE, who's got an issue with the War Games? Who would have an issue with the War Games? Um... I mean, the only person I can think of would be Vince. It is. It was Vince. But why? Because it's a WCW concept. Well, that's literally it. Primarily, yes. Now, there are other reasons. I mean, people have always said, oh, Vince, he'll never push anything that's not his. You know, that's why, like, a Goldberg's run the other year was very impressive because the first time Vince was like, something that I didn't make, but I'm pushing it anyway. So people always think Vince is hesitant to push anything from the other side, from the competition, WCW. Apparently, another reason for it was that Vince was very hesitant to do the two-ring design because it would impact on ticket sales because you're going to reduce the amount of ringside seats you can have. You're going to reduce the amount of people who can fit in the building. Right. Which, I I mean, lads, 2010 is as if you were selling them out, like, you know? (laughs) But there was one person who all through the years, a big NWA fan, a big Ric Flair fan, who was constantly trying to get it revived and was constantly pushing for it. All the way from 2002 up to 2017, there was always word that this person wanted to have a War Games match. Can you guess who that might be? All the way from when? 2002? More or less, like pretty much since they had the ability to do it, he wanted okay. to do it. Well, judging from the timeline, I mm. would guess that's Triple H. It is, yeah, Triple H. So Triple H is a huge fan of the old NWA. So while he might have been queuing up saying hey good check out this Russo's revenge match it's something else like three cages whoa <laughs> 
but the old style NWA, the idea of doing this kind of big bloodbath cage match where it's like teams going off against each other. There was a number of times where it was like supposedly leaked information that they were definitely doing it. You know, the Battleground pay-per-view, originally that was going to be a War Games match. They were going to do the Rhodes brothers, Goldust and Cody Rhodes against the Shield in War Games. That was a rumor. And actually what they ended up doing way back in the day, as I think this is why Vince decided he was never going to do War Games, was that they did the Elimination Chamber match. Oh, right, which is kind of similar. Pretty much. Elimination Chamber, in their mind, is like... They've refined war games down. And I mean, the- I'd say that's true. Yeah, I mean, could you describe like Elimination Chamber maybe for fans who don't know what it is? So Elimination Chamber is when, I'm so glad I finally, after four years of watching wrestling, know how to describe an Elimination <laughs> Chamber without quickly checking in with Kevin first just to make sure I got it right. Elimination Chamber is when you have all these guys in the ring... And sometimes there's a really big cage on top, but inevitably they're split up into smaller cages, shark cages, I believe they're called. Or pods. Pods. Like tide pods. What's the difference between a pod and a shark cage? Though? A pod has got plexiglass, and young people eat them for uh, the YOLOs. Okay. And to be lit. So you get these, the wrestlers are in these little pods, mm. and then um, after a certain length of time, they're released one by one. It's kind of random, yeah. and then they fight. So it's not team-based, it's kind of every person for themselves. Which makes more sense, really. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, as well, I, I can imagine Vince McMahon, like, or people around Vince, you know, his his circle being like, the whole thing about the, the, the coin flip, for instance, and the heels always having the advantage, that's, like, something that I could easily see him, like, a logical that he would be, like, as an excuse, I'm not doing it, because mm. it's, it's silly, you yeah. know? So we didn't have war games for all those years. We had elimination chambers, which... I think take some of the good elements. You've got the random nature of people coming in. You've got the kind of the scary environment and whatnot. But it's definitely quite far removed. Until last year, finally, 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 we heard word that WWE, even after doing a DVD about it, and sadly after the man who invented it had passed away and was pushing for it, Dusty Rhodes was always pushing for there to be a War Games Aww. match. Which is really sad, the fact that Dusty passed away and then that later on that year you've got the War Games match finally happens, which is kind of like, it's bittersweet in a way. Yeah. Like, it kind of feels like it's it's late. It's sad that Dusty didn't get to see it. But NXT, last year, in 2017, decided to do the War Games match. They announced it. There was buzz everywhere. And I'll tell you one thing, folks. Research this episode has proved to me one thing. There's one thing that WWE are definitely kings of. It's search engine optimization. WWE, more like SEO. They're fucking... You Google War Games... All that comes up for the first 30 pages of Google is NXT War Games. Yeah. The 31 previous War Games matches don't seem to factor in much. Yes, absolutely. So our next match was one which was highly anticipated. One which we missed because we've actually not been watching NXT recently, but one everyone said we needed to check out for the episode, Joe. So we have The Undisputed Era versus The Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong versus Sanity in a War Games match, obviously the name of the episode at NXT War Games wait so it's the name of the show is NXT War Games yes so they did a whole show of War Games just one match in the end was a War Games match but the name of the show was War Games okay because they were so strongly pushing the kind of concept that that was the whole selling point of the show was that they're bringing back the War Games match and it's kind of like you can see how it works Triple H has got a lot more sway over NXT he could obviously play the the angle of it's honouring the legacy of Dusty Rhodes which is something that the company is very interested in doing 
And also as well, NXT is uh, you know the developmental territory for WB. It's also the kind of experimental territory. From what I've heard, NXT makes a massive loss every year hmm. because they pay such big money for their stars and they have this ridiculously big performance center to train and house everyone. They run off all this staff there, but they only do a few shows a year and they only do small amounts of house shows. But I guess, I think someone pointed out to me, it's like you could view it like research and development in any company. Well, exactly. It always makes a loss. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like them testing the waters here. It doesn't matter if you're going to sell, you know, 100 or 200 less tickets here for a second ring because NXT is going to lose money anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was really excited to check this one out. They did announce ahead of time that they were making a number of changes to it. First change, we've got three teams of three as opposed to two teams of five or four. Rules have changed this time, Joe. We have one member for... I have the rules here if you want me to read them. Joe, I mean, the rules, I think they may come off as a little bit complicated, but they really are an actual fact. They're quite simple, aren't they? They've changed the rules, but they are still, as a matter of fact quite simple and easy to understand. Yeah, I don't really see what the problem is. The match begins with all three teams inside separate shark cages with one member from each team starting the match. After five minutes, the remaining two members of each other team will be entered and after a three-minute period, the other two members of each team will be entered and then following a three-minute period, the final team's final members are released to enter the match and then a victory via pinfall or submission can only be attained once all three teams have entered war games and to escape the cage, you'll forfeit the match for your team. Simple. Easy peasy. I mean, what's so hard about that? You know? The only thing which I didn't, uh, which they missed off there that was in all the other war games ones, which was official time will be kept at ringside cool okay (laughs) that's important that's a rule there was also a visual change to the war games match did you notice it was different well it's hard to miss it doesn't have a roof what do you feel about that a roofless war game i don't like it how come because hmm you've already got hell in a cell yeah which is what the cage with a roof Mm mm-hmm You've got cage matches, which is a cage without a roof. Yes. And now you've got this version of War Games, which is a cage with two rings without a roof. Mm. Now, I understand the principle behind why they've done it. It's pretty obvious. It's so that they can have some high flippy-doo spots. Especially there was like a conference call with Triple H. And they're like, can you explain the changes to the match and the design and why you've done that? It's like, well, they're going to do... uh, it's kind of going to say they're going to do a lot of high spots it's going to be really cool they're going to jump off that shit like. but he's just like um, it's a different kind of athlete now to Aaron Anderson and Tully Blanchard uh, respect the rules um, to, yeah they're going to do some high spots basically yeah it's going to be yeah. cool <laughs> I I don't like the, the lack of a roof because I feel there's kind of there's more interesting things you can do with the roof of a cage I think than without and I think if you want to do the high spots which I I totally appreciate that he's done that Mm. for that reason I think you'd be better off making the cage higher yeah I think that might be a bit cooler then maybe yeah have that cage a bit higher and and also an issue with it it came up in the match is when you look at the roof in the cage it's less of it you're locked in is that you're contained in a thing that you can leave yeah and quite, they show quite easily they show quite easily that these guys are all capable of leaving but are opting not to because you the floor is lava and if you escape the, if you escape the cage you forfeit the match for your team it was a bit strange that they had that option there and i part of me really did want to see them have the cage roof and just because you know there were some things that you know if Ricky Steamboat and Brian Pillman back exactly. in the 90s were doing these very basic primordial you know uh, hurricanranas and stuff god damn me the, if you, the people you got here in this match 
you've got some real fucking high flyers and some incredible technical wizards. I would have loved to see what the likes of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly would do with a roofed cage. Like, craw- I wanted to see Kyle O'Reilly crawling around that like a Koopa Troopa in Mario World, like crawling up the cage and be bopped on the other side. Like, I'd have loved to have had it as, like I said before, with the, the two rings, but with one middle rope. Mm. And then have the higher cage roof. And then you could have a really cool move where they like run up to the middle ropes, jump on the ropes, and then grab the ceiling Ooh. and then kick their opponents. That'd be cool. I like that a that lot. That would be cool. And awesome. I wonder as well, like, some of the rule changes, I think, though, were more beneficial to it. I do think that they, you know, I don't like the change of the, the roof, for instance, but I do think some of these changes that they've made are to the benefit. For you instance, mean with the timing and stuff. The timing, I think, worked a lot better in this one with. They kind of negated the need for the coin toss because you had three random teams and it was like their two members were coming in. So one team was going to get a massive advantage quite quickly. Mm. I like that they were in cages on the ramp because then you had the whole thing of like, you know, the authors of pain are locked in a cage. These big two fucking monster men and the cage opens and they're like, coming out. Like, I was really excited by that. I thought that was quite a good change. Mm. That was cool. Did you think the rules... Like, do you think they cracked the rules here? No. (laughs) Don't think they cracked the rules by any means. To be honest, if it was me designing this match, I wouldn't have the strange structure of having five minutes and then three minutes and then however many minutes. It's it's just too confusing. There's too many different minute lengths. I would have just gone for a flat set number. Mm. I think as well, like that opening period, it shows you how much... You know, WWE is based off of very strongly like their style. If you could sum it up, is routines that the fans become accustomed to, and then they react when they see the routines or when the routines get cut off. So every wrestler's kind of got a sequence. Their comeback, da da da. You see those. You expect the near fall to come. You know, you're built in, hardwired as a fan, whether you realize it or not, to react a certain way at WWE shows. And I think it really struggled in the first period where they knew there could be no pinfalls and you had these guys wrestling around and they didn't break it up with the near falls and stuff and they were still wrestling that WWE style. And the crowd were a little bit confused by that, it almost felt like, that they weren't seeing their near falls and whatnot. That's interesting. I didn't feel that way. But then you saying all that stuff there about, as a wrestling fan, you're hardwired to expect certain things. I... I I don't. Yeah, I, I literally cannot relate to that whatsoever. Yeah, I, I guess you got you. You're the benefit of not having that twenty extra years of yeah <laughs> of hard wiring going in. Like you know, I'm like Pavlov's dog. You ring yeah. a bell, I expect to see Daniel Bryan do a backflip, run across the second rope, do a flying forearm, and then go. Yeah, I actually thought like the first five minutes of this match were among my favourites. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's when the story actually was being told. There's a lot of interesting story being told in here. And again, they use one of the main strengths of the war games was trying to tell a bunch of different stories. You've got Roderick Strong, who's teamed up with the Authors of Pain. He's, he's an honorary author of Pain. He's got a special outfit oh, on. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the Authors of Pain, they're all dressed as Sister Abigail. <laughs> what the veil? With the veil. Like. <laughs> it's the failed Sister Abigail uh, costume we never got to see in real life still sour on that one folks still very sour on that one but yeah you got you know roddy who's with the authors of pain who don't trust him they just want to exert their dominance in the match and he's just kind of a means to an end they actually use him as a weapon throughout the match which is really cool and roddy has also been courted by the undisputed era which is uh, kyle o'reilly bobby fish and adam cole who want him to join their group because he kind of belongs so there's a lot of interplay off of that and sanity are a bunch of crazy wacky sorts who are doing all sorts so there's loads of interplay there and i thought that was really really cool that they did it 
The Undisputed Era, of course, in classic War Games fashion, the heel team get brought in first to get the advantage. And they beat the shit out of everyone. Like, it's really, really cool. They have as well, Joe, I noticed, they filled in the the very dangerous middle bit there, you know, with a bit of yes, polyfiller. But they, they filled it with steel, which is extra hard. So now that's the hardest part of the ring. That's like... Whoa! This is two aprons pushed together with steel on top. You get that plus four hardest part of the ring buff from each one and yep. a hard piece of steel. That is exactly. literally... That's the hardest substance in the known universe, I uh, believe, is yeah, what that I think, could be. Yeah, I think, honestly, yeah. I love when the Authors of Pain come in as well because there's a silly sound effect for the gong that goes off, which is like a... <laughs> which I think every wrestler should be announced coming to the ring by the sound of a klaxon ringing. I think that's very, very important. The Authors of Pain are very impressive to watch in this match. Joe, if no one's ever seen the Authors of Pain before, how would you describe these uh, these these men? Two cannonballs. <laughs> that have sprouted arms and legs. Just about. Kind of like, you know, Graveler from Pokemon. Yeah. Times two. If, if it was two Gravelers, yeah. Yeah, managed by, you know, some Weasley member of Team Rocket, Paul Ellering brackets. <laughs> <laughs> they do this moment where they do Death Valley drivers into the corner. They both pick someone up and they run into the corners. And, like, the match benefits from having lots of spots designed for people in the ring throughout the match. You think so? I mean, that's what I felt. I felt that, like, the match had, like, they had obviously sat down and kind of go, here are, like, the ten big moments that are happening, and they tried to kind of reel them off throughout the match, as opposed to the other ones that happened all in the first half. That, to me, was my least favourite part of this whole match. It was that so. you could literally tell that they were, like had this list of big stops, tops, bots they were going to do it's like right we're going to do this cool move where everyone comes together to all cooperate to do this one cool move and we do it again mm. and again and again it was like literally 10 moves throughout this match and then they were paced well I will the pacing of this match was very very good I mean for a match with nine people I've yeah. never seen them actually handle people that well before yeah <laughs> especially when you've got a couple of really big boys in there yeah like Killian Dane from Sanity who's a fucking house yeah so it's really important I think that you have enough space to see what's going on which was really good I thought they were good, good at clearing the ring, keeping a good number of guys on their feet at the same time. Mm. But yeah, to me, the big spots were just too choreographed to be to feel authentic. It just really felt like, okay, right, we're all going to get together, then all ten of us, we're all going to sit on each side of this one particular person, and we're mm. all going to hang out until they're ready to do the move, and I I hate that in wrestling when yes. it's really obviously a practiced move. I, yeah. I I want it to be practiced. I want it to be well rehearsed. But I want, you want it to, to be come, safe as well. Yeah, I want it to be safe. Obviously, I want it to feel organic though. I don't want to suddenly be taken out of the moment and think back to them rehearsing this in the locker room, mm. being like, "Hey guys, how cool it would it be if all of us just happened to, even though we're on three separate teams, all work together as one team to take down one guy, and we all do it simultaneously, and it looks really symmetrical and cool." I remember, I forget, it might have been raw when we were live. There was a spot where it was like three or four people all like literally came to the outside and they all stood and they're like, "Oh, here." Come yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. And I know that's something you absolutely hate. And I, yeah, detest it. I know it's a shame because I know it's like, it's really personal to me and I know a lot mm. of people could not give less of a shit when you it comes to stuff like that. You just want to see the fun thing happen, yeah. Yeah, but when you, to me, when you've got that moment of hesitation, everyone's kind of getting their feet secured and mm. waiting for everyone to be ready and they're like, ready, 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 ready. Okay, three, two, one, big move! I think what is interesting about it is that Oftentimes when they do those spots on TV, the camera will kind of cut away so you don't see everyone kind of assembling as much. But I think in this, because you're again, you're in that 
confined environment, it was quite obvious when everyone was kind of like huddling well, together. Well, because it's everyone. Yeah. That's my problem. It's, it's okay if it's not, not everyone. Because mm. then you can, yeah, you can cut to someone else wrestling while they kind of get set up and get ready to pull off the move. But when you've literally got every single person in that match all working together mm. as a team to pull off a big top spot that's supposed to injure half of them. I love that you use the phrase top spot is my absolute favourite thing. It's not a real term, is it? No, it's, it's, your, it's you use Whatever. it with passion, though. Top I, spot. Top spots, I love it. <laughs> Everyone knows what I mean. <laughs> I hope. I just, yeah, that bothered me. I did enjoy, like, Killian Dane, for instance, also known as Big Damo, a large hairy man from Belfast, Northern Ireland, who, when he came into the match, et- locked the door at the key. Oh, that was really sad, though, because he had to... <laughs> Everyone else, the ref locked the door for them. Yeah. But Killian, he had to like fumble with the latch, which he is had really a chain, complicated. You see, yeah. Yeah, chain. Oh, it's really hard to lock a door from the inside. We have to put your hand all around through the, the the bars and lock it and everything. He was really there for like a few fair few minutes, struggling he, with the tiny key. He was there so long though, with you know, struggling with that that when he had the key, you you knew he had a key in his hand when he had it. It yeah. read very clearly as That's, a result. Well, he did literally lift it up into the air and then drop it into his mouth from like a meter distance. Someone's done his GCSE drama, like yeah, you know, he knows done. how to bring their eyes into project it. to the audience. Okay, <laughs> the people at the back, Killian, are going to need to see yeah, you. Yeah, you talk to the clock at the top of the room. If you talk to the clock. <laughs> you will naturally project and now you're a tree this match did a good job with like letting the big boys show their absurd strength like Killian Dane did so many moves where it was like he picked up two people and then slammed them onto another person mm. always with his load bearing grunts and those are great those load bearing grunts are the type of grunts that if he doesn't grunt he can't do that move like he needs to you know like tennis mm. the grunt doesn't come out the power is not there everyone kind of gets a spree at a point yeah and like the last third of the match I think it, after the moment Raven would come in and cleared house it felt like everyone like it's it felt like it was too much of a democracy in NXT yeah it's everyone like, was really weirdly cooperative I felt like they should have decided right Killian Dane and Roderick Strong are getting over in this match. Yeah. Kind of everyone else take a back seat, but it's like, no, Alex Wolf's got to get his moment, and Aikam and Razor get their moment, and Roddy gets a moment, and Bobby gets a yeah. moment. If anything, you would never get that. It doesn't, it's not realistic to have <laughs> no. everyone get their high spot, top spot. I'm going to definitely Please. consistently call top it spots, now. Top spots, baby. Top spot. Um, top it rhymes, spot kind of. It's different yeah. from a high spot, okay? Because okay. a high spot implies like that it's going to be really high. A high Whereas risk a, maneuver, you mean? Or? Yeah, and, or it might make a lot of height. Oh, so a jump, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Whereas a top spot is like a big move that involves lots of people and a lots of uh, drama. I like it. that. Yeah. I, I like you. You you are free to you. You are free to make up your own wrestling terminology. Well, that's good. I've been doing it from the very first episode. That, that's fine. With, you know, flipty doos. It's okay. You know, you've you've learned the required terminology. Now you can add to the lexicon yourself. You can feel free to edit the wiki page of wrestling terminology. You now add in top spot. Like it's cool. It was very good for for me and you in a sense that you and I hadn't watched NXT. You know, we haven't watched it in around a year, so this was a match which people were like, "Oh yeah, check it out! It'll get you caught up to speed." And it was great because it was like, "Who are these undisputed era chaps?" And you got to see them do loads of cool shit. You got a great sense of who everyone was in this match. Yeah. So kind of like almost as like an NXT primer and get caught up with like a lot of these guys and what they're up to and what their style is. This is a great match for it. Like, yeah. you, if you want to, you know, Authors of Pain and Sanity in 2018 were in April. They're coming to the main roster at the moment. You want to learn about those guys, go watch this match. You'll get a, lot, a great sense of them, I think. I think, yeah, the ultimate moment of too much planningness was when they did this 
double Tower of Doom spot. That's the one I'm specifically bothered yeah, about. Yeah, where we had like the Office of Pain, both powerbombing guys who were both double suplexing guys. It took about five minutes to set up because you've got a lot of big boys here mm. who understandably have to get their footing secure before they can have five other people climb on top of them. But it took ages to get set up. You've got the what the authors of pain at the bottom of you, yeah. and then you've got the guys on top of them. They and- went they went bottom heavy to, to light us at the top. Good. Like, you know, that was yeah. smart. It was physics wise speaking, in terms of the dynamics of the construction, it was very, very sound like And it was all supposed to be because of Adam Cole. Like they're supposed to be attacking Adam Cole, but then they get pulled back and then climbed on and then eventually there's everyone in the match all stacked on top of the authors of pain. And then of course we can all see this coming from the moment they went into the corner of the <laughs> ring. They all flipped them all over backwards and it was very impressive. And Adam Cole's left in his own little smile, which yeah. is which is cute. And then he ran away, <laughs> up, out of the cage. Good thing that uh, Killian uh, ate the key, isn't it? Because it's not like there's a, a big roof on the cage or anything. It was strange that, he, that like, when they were teasing out, like, was he going to lose the match? Like, I, I didn't understand that, really. Also, that spot there, the bit with the office of pain in the corner, you talk about it taking, like, five minutes to set up. Back when I was a kid with my wrestling toys, you know, if I was, like, left playing my wrestling toys for more than an hour... Like, I would end up in a similar spot where it's like, and now all the wrestlers are all going to do the biggest off the top of the house. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm bored now. And I have to like, lie down, <laughs> like, you know, because I just, I booked too much of a top spot for myself. It's like. funny you say that because I was thinking about that quite a lot throughout this match, how it felt almost booked by a 12-year-old. Triple H and William Regal with all their toys. Wouldn't and then we cool. can get all of them in the corner. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Oh, yes. <laughs> Stephanie comes in, what are you doing? Nothing! <laughs> <laughs> so, let's see. Yeah, incredible moment. We get superplex off the top of the cage to Adam Cole, who manages to kick out. Everyone in this match was so much less sweaty. But talking about Adam Cole in the cage a second, because yeah. this really bothered me. So he was climbing on the top of the cage, mm. and then he... Roderick Strong started chasing him. Yeah, to stop him. To stop him. And instead of Adam Cole just being like, well, I'm on the top of the cage already, I'll just climb around the top of it. Yeah. That would be harder for him to find me. Climb horizontally. Yeah, climb horizontally. Instead of that, no, no, no. He climbs outside of the cage. Which, guys, uh, the rules were only told to us, what, 20 minutes ago. If you escape by the cage, you forfeit the match for your team. Now, in WWE, escape only occurs when both feet have touched the floor. Right, so why leave the cage at all? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was. I think maybe they just wanted to, to get in some climbing, you know? It's a nice day, let's get, let's get some climbing in, you know? An issue as well I had, I guess, towards the end was the fact that so much had happened that when the end actually came, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, it, it's over now. Yeah. I love this match in spite I mean I feels like I've been very critical of it there but like no you did yeah I think you're only being critical because I've been quite you loved this match I I adored it I honestly I was bouncing off the walls in this match and it's kind of like it felt like it didn't address a lot of the issues that classically you think people would have with the war games I felt that in some ways it may have exacerbated them with Mm. the, the kind of escape and all that but in terms of making a playground style like you know it's in every there's some fun happening every two seconds i honestly feel you know i've said like before you want to show people matches maybe to pique their interest in wrestling this is one which i would actually think about showing some people it's kind of show, really? look at, yeah look at the madness on like just the the real spectacle of it I've i seen, wouldn't really yeah because mm. you could just as easily go to youtube and type in compilation of the coolest wrestling moves ever and yeah. you'd have yourself about as fun a time yeah 
Oh, that's a spicy take. Very spicy. I don't so, think people will agree with me. But I guess, see, that's the thing, is that War Games, as it was pitched to us, and as it is meant to be pitched, it's meant to be this story-driven, feud-ending faction war. And I kind of feel like what we have here is the blueprints for really, really fun match. And I kind of feel like it's not necessarily going to be a faction war next time. It could just be like, let's get three fucking teams of three f- groups of fun wrestlers and let's put them in here and let's see how we go. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I'd like to do. So, yeah. I mean, I'm excited if this means we get more war games. Awesome. Because I think there's a lot you can do with the roster you have at the moment. There's so many people who are so innovative. I think if this was to go to the main show, I think you can have a lot of really fun things happen there. I mean, but for you though, this this was the, the rebirth, 17 years ru- ruminating. Did they improve the match? Did they make it worse? How did it come off for you? I thought they did Im- improve, although I don't know if that's really fair to say that they improved it because the wrestlers of today mm. are far better suited to wrestle a style of match like a War Games match than previous iterations mm. of wrestling talent. Like we were saying before about the steroids and everything, like you could see these guys were gassed immediately. Like yeah, they were all but- so tired. Whereas in this match... The, like I said, the, they kept up the pacing. They kept up all these massive top spots. Hammering that one. Home. I'm <laughs> putting on a t-shirt. I'm going to get it trademarked. They were, you know, they probably could have wrestled this again another 40 minutes. Like, yeah. none of the guys seemed remotely tired. Yeah, they were, <laughs> like, the lack of sweat was shocking, seeing as this match was half the length of some of the other war games. And actually, you know what? It's just occurred to me. I, I think I consider that a little bit of a criticism. Really? Because... I think if you're going to have a match like a War Games match, you should be tired at the end. Yeah, I love that the bit at the end of the the 92 one where the Danish Alliance, like, they're all like bloody and they're all soaking wet, their hair yeah. all scraggly and they're all like too exhausted to Broken. fight. And, like, yeah. yeah. Like it felt like that match broke them. Whereas it felt like this match, it was a hell of a match, but everyone did look relatively okay. I don't know if that means, can we have that without blood though, do you think? Yes, I think so. So I think the way they would have had to have done it though is change the pacing slightly. So instead of it being such a nice, clean, let's see what everyone can do, Mm. it would be more of a kind of build it up a bit slower so that you don't have all the big spots throughout the match. You have it kind of more towards the second half, Mm. I think. And then you can have the... I think, yeah, I just think the pacing needs to be a bit heavier on the second half of the match. Do you think they should go back to submit or surrender or did pinfalls make this one an easier watch? Wait, they had pinfalls in this? Yeah, I didn't was. even notice. <laughs> wow, this is a lot. So no, I don't care either way. Okay, well that's interesting. Joe, I'm almost nervous to ask, what is your star rating for NXT War Games 2017? It was good. I feel I am being quite harsh mm. to it, but that I'm only doing that because I love NXT. I consider it to have some of the best wrestlers in the world. Like, you expect this high caliber of wrestling when you're watching Absolutely. NXT. yeah. And if you're someone who's looking to get into wrestling and you're finding, like, you know, finding watching Raw and SmackDown a bit of a chore, honestly, uh, we said it right at the start of this show, the, one of the best ways you want to get into a weekly show of wrestling that's yeah. good story and great wrestling, NXT is your fucking number right there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, considering I've not watched NXT in a long time recently, they did a really good job of explaining the storyline, yeah. everything that was going on, the context, and yeah, it was very clearly communicated, which I, I really like. But holding them all to this very, very high standard and considering the fact that I think they didn't make the changes to the War Games 
match type that would have actually made a really good difference. Mm. I gave it three and a half stars. Mm, okay, three and a half stars. Not so bad. Could you envision a tweak or a change that you'd want to see? Because honestly, I loved this the three the three team format. I thought that was really really cool. I almost like. I, if I was to do any sort of a change, I, if you went to back, if you were to go back to two teams, I would have it like where all the guys are in pods or whatever. But it, it's like a, it's random who goes out. It's not a coin toss, and someone always has the advantage. It could be that oh, we have three on one with the heels and the faces, and then it gets evened out or whatever. I thought maybe that might be something that could change. But I don't know. Is there anything you would change still? Like I said, I put the the ceiling back on. Yeah. I put the one rope in the middle. Yeah. Hate those two ropes. So you join into one long oblong ring, basically. Yeah, so technically it would still be two rings, mm-hmm. but there would only be one middle rope. Okay. Unlike currently, where you've got the two ropes. It's just weird. I don't know. In terms of rules, I yeah, I definitely get rid of the the coin toss. Don't don't think that helps. I would not have the five minutes followed by three minutes followed by two minutes followed by two minutes followed by. It's just so many different numbers to be Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would do absolutely anything I possibly could to reduce the number of rules so that you don't have to have six pages of slides to <laughs> yeah. explain them. Because I still don't really understand the rules. And I've got them written in front of me and I've watched four matches now with this. Wrestling fans don't want to... You know, I, this is like a, a, a massive generalisation, but no one wants to read. Wrestling fans definitely don't want to read four pages of rules. No, or whatever. It, it's, it takes you out. It, it, it unhypes you. If you have to have... Rules explained on screen, I think you've made it too complicated. I think so as well. It should be simple. It should be easy to understand. Kids who've never seen wrestling should be able to watch it and immediately understand what the rules are. Makes it more accessible. Joe, we were asked by Kevin who requested this episode if we could fantasy book our own war games match using whichever rule variations we want to for any of the ones that we've checked out, using any wrestlers from past, present... Not future, though, because I think that might be a bit difficult if we're, <laughs> if we're trying to foretell wrestlers that are yet to be. If you want to go first, then, let me know what your idea is. So I know there's a few names I definitely want in there, mm-hmm. okay? Because of what they'd bring to this type of match. Young Shane McMahon. Ooh. I would definitely like to get in a War Games-style yes. match because I think he'd be willing to take the risks that are needed to kind of make a spectacle yeah. or something like this. Okay. So kind of dream war games match but I really like the three tiered cages yeah, so I'm okay. going gonna to keep the three tiered cages and in the three tiered cage you have to fetch a belt from the top and bring it down or uh, yeah so it's not teams okay it's just singles okay and yeah you have to fetch the title sure and there's a fireman's pole down the middle <laughs> Really lubricated. War Games 3000. (laughs) Joe's Revenge. (laughs) Night of Top Spots. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you've got Shane McMahon, you've got the ball pit in the the bottom as well. Okay. So as soon as you enter the cage, you're in a ball pit. And I want to see a couple of top spots with Shane being thrown through the top cage through to the middle cage. Okay. So the top cage deliberately has a gimmicked floor. Okay. <laughs> so how many people are you going to have in your match then total? Shall we say six? However many I'm allowed. Okay, you can you can have up to ten if you want to, but, you know, it's let's, up to you. Let's go with six. Let's go okay. with six. So you got Shane's in there as young, well. Young Shane, man. Young let's, Shane. Let's be honest. Current Shane, probably, let's keep him and his diverticulitis out of this dangerous Yeah, scenario. I don't think we want to see a... <laughs> So it's the idea of Shane McMahon in Fun Zone with diverticulitis. Like, ah, I'm going to go down the slide, pop! Ah, how was it fun? 
I would really like to see Adrian Neville Ooh. in a War Games type Ooh. match. I want to see him use the cage as a weapon. Mm-hmm. I want to see him use the cage as a means to do innovative moves. Mm. I think I'd put AJ Styles in there as well. Oh, yeah, you want someone who can do them flip to do's. Yeah, definitely. You got three more. I really feel that War Games is a formula. This is mm. a bit off topic of the fantasy booking thing, but I really do think that women are better suited to a War Games yeah, style match. Yeah, you did bring that up because. I remember when we reviewed Sasha and Charlotte for our patron in Hell in the Cell, even though there was the end of that match was a bit of a clusterfuck, I think we did talk about like is how like unexplored territory is yeah. with a much smaller fight. I mean, a lot of the women's roster are quite short and stuff, and I think in that big environment actually would play off quite well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, would you like to see any women in particular note in there? I'm trying to think of people who would use it to their advantage. Yeah, So I think Sasha Banks has got to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after the Iron Man match that she had with Bailey. Yeah. Like, you know that she's got the energy Mm, and mm. the strength to sort of go through, I think, a really tough match like that. And because I know she's inspired by Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. I don't know a huge amount about him, but I'm pretty sure he'd probably be quite well suited to a War Games. Oh, yeah. High flyer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Style match. So, yeah, I put in Sasha. I like that. It's, it's very much you putting in high flyers and risk takers so far. I like that. Yeah. I think it's put it a bit out of balance, though, because you do need some of the steady talent. So I'd put in Natalia. Oh, very as well. good. It's yeah. kind of the more map-based mm. style submission. You, obviously, it's more submission or surrender, so you need some uh-huh. someone like that. And I'd think the third person I'd put in... Now, I'm trying to decide if I want to put in Asker or Charlotte. Oh, well, I mean, the only thing I'll say about Charlotte is that paying homage to her father, Ric Flair, who this whole match was kind of oh, devised right, for, yeah. I think you could really play off of that. That would be... And I mean, if they are to do a War Games, you know, um, for me, if they were to do a female War Games and you did, like, Charlotte and her and the four horsewomen... And you just play off of... That would be amazing. And then have them as a heel faction or a heel unit. Have it, you know, play off of the, the history with Flair. Have like kind of the dream team of like, you know, Ronda Rousey and all of her rebels or whatever all kind of working together, a ragtag group against the, the evil four horsemen. I think that would be fucking awesome. Yeah. But you want to, so you got Charlotte, Natalia, Sasha Banks. Banks, Shane McMahon, Adrian Neville, and AJ Styles. Yeah, and also because I really wanted to find a way to fit him in, so a bonus random seventh wrestler, Kurt Hennig. <laughs> yeah, but I think I put Vince Russo in. Like, no! Or, 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 because I invented the match, me as well. And all the wrestlers <laughs> have to sell for me and go, no, and I come near. I would also love to have seen War Games used as kind of like more of a gimmicky type match with like, Say, for example, Vince in his days when he was wrestling. Yeah. Him wrestling an, an opponent, just him and an opponent in a war game star match, oh, I think man. would be really weird in an yeah. interesting way. <laughs> right, my fantasy war games yeah. match. I'm going to follow the format of the previous one of the 2017 war games. Right. So I'm going to go with my three teams of three. So without the lid. Uh, I'm going to pop a lid on there, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to pop a lid on there, but in terms of how people come out and the random nature of it and three teams of three, that's how I'm going to go. So on team one, I'm going to put in the Dudley Boys Ooh. and Sandman, and I'm going to have them managed by Paul Heyman, because Heyman obviously has history in war games. I think the Dudleys are just competent enough and the Sandman incompetent enough that they would do something very, very... You want you want somebody who's going to do something extreme in there, you mm. know, and have a bit of a hard core element to it uh, the other team will be the original Shield uh, so you got Roman Seth 
and Dean Ambrose in there uh, in their original outfits that they wore as well okay so, uh-huh. so we're all, all perfectly fine okay. and the last team as well I was it's a bit of a, a bit of a toss up I was going to go like either Luke Harper Luke Harper and Luke Harper oh no I didn't think of my boy Luke no no because let's put the, let's put the Bludgeon Brothers gimmick there wouldn't you they? could have Bludgeon Luke Harper Cool Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt Compound Luke Harper. The three different iterations. Uh, instead, I'm going to go with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and like Tully Blanchard. Kind of to represent the, the, the horsemen, you know, the original uh, four horsemen who were in the original arcade. Uh, because they, they know all the tricks of the trade. I've got them in their prime. I've putting a bunch of really old men in there. with like the, Everyone's in their prime, assumedly. I'm not putting old men in there. Like, so, you know what fucking 70-year-old Ric Flair with a colostomy bag recovering from surgery getting in 3D and hit with a Singapore cane. I don't want that, okay? okay? So everyone in their prime and everyone's on a lot of cocaine on the the, the first team and the last team. The middle team doesn't touch the stuff. The okay, well in my fantasy booking match everyone's really happy and healthy and doesn't have any drug addiction <laughs> problems and if they do take any drugs recreationally they do it safely. <laughs> and, and, and they tell a friend. <laughs> they all have therapists and there's a there's a wrestling union, union in my fantasy booking. And they ring their mothers once a week and as well. They have healthcare. <laughs> well then that is war games uh, we got majority of our tweets uh, the vast majority of them were match recommendations however we got one or two and as well your facebook comments so from jeff maxfield one of my favorite things about war games pay-per-views is the lead up to the titular match to see what the people in the other matches on the card have to work around there being two fucking rings i didn't realize this yeah. that the actual the whole show they have the two rings set up yeah well because i guess the ring has to be set up before everyone else comes out because you know setting up a ring takes hours so it has to be there and then the cage gets lowered down onto it so actually i want to watch more of the nxt takeover show or some more of the wrestle war shows or fall brawl to see what they do because i know that a lot of the cruiserweights in wcw like eddie guerrero and Rey mysterio and chris jericho they would incorporate the second ring into the match and do spots involving it kind of you know, take advantage of the unique environment. As far as I know, they were discouraged from doing so, but they kind of did it anyway and no one really cared because, hey, WCW, anything goes. Wow. One from Kevin Chyat. My favourite gimmick match and one of Dusty Rhodes' greatest creations. The best way to do a big team blow-off match. There's a reason why every E-Fed and every indie has done a variation on it. It's easy to screw up with overbooking, see every WCW Wargames match post-1996, but when done correctly, it's a magical display of pro-wrestling violence. Yeah, I think that's the one nice thing about the War Games 2017 particularly is that it felt like the first time in forever that they had actually fucking you know, done it justice because there were so many of the matches that felt like you had this concept that you know can get a reaction and can get a feud over and can get a crowd going and just fail to do that. It was just sad to see such a strong gimmick and one of the few ones that WCW had being misused for so long and maybe that was factored into why it wasn't used for so long in WWE because they had a bit of a stink on it from all the crap ones that had happened in there maybe yeah I'm not surprised David Green says War Games match will be taking place at York Hall in Bethnal Green on the 5th of May presented by Pro Wrestling Eve Wrestle Queendom is the show name an all female show and will be well worth checking out we saw a Pro Wrestling Eve show back in September last yes. year it was amazing fantastic it was time absolutely fantastic and I thought it was really interesting that David said that, seeing as I was just saying about An how I think female, it's yeah. more suited to women. I would, l- oh, I'm gutted I won't be able to go to that, but I would love 
love, love, love to hear how that show goes. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. (laughs) Seriously, if you go to that show and you want to write it up for howtowrestling.com, you know, send us a line. Well, Joe, our next episode is going to be one which is very, very interesting. And once again, I'm really happy we get to do this now, uh, is looking at something where maybe it's a bit of a blind spot for me. It's something where I get to do some research with the help of the lovely members of the How Tooniverse. Our next episode is going to be on Pro Wrestling Gorilla, a.k.a. PWG, the mold-breaking, incredibly fast-paced, higher-level wrestling that happens out of a very small room in Los Angeles, California. I have heard nothing but amazing things about PWG. PWG is usually in a very small building. Very few people get in. One of them usually is Ronda Rousey, who's a massive fan of it. Most of your favourite wrestlers, Joe, have at one point or another been in PWG. It is very much everyone's favourite place to wrestle. Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, El Generico, The Young Bucks, Adam Cole, the list goes on. What we're looking for is not necessarily an entire potted history of every single storyline and feud and faction and whatnot. It's probably going to be impossible to do that. But very recently I read something that was so fascinating to me and really opened up my eyes. People talking about the different styles of the different companies, saying that you know WWE has a certain style we talked about earlier with the, the repetition of certain spots and New Japan Pro Wrestling has got a certain style with you know two guys grinding each other down to a big fast paced frenzy at the end. Well apparently PWG throws all the rules out the window and is genuinely considered to be where wrestlers are innovating and doing things that are completely different and unlike wrestling you've ever seen seen before we want to see the matches and the characters that most exemplify pro wrestling gorilla because i've seen a few clips here and there but i'll be honest i've never watched a full pwg show i always hear about people complaining that the tickets have sold out or the dvds are hard to get a hold of well now's our chance for everyone to find out what's the big fucking deal and why is it so great you tell us and we'll tell the world we want your match recommendations your memories your thoughts and your opinions on pwg a lot of people are thinking the pwg joe is just where triple h goes to throw a load of pokeballs and collect all the next nxt superstars is it just a breeding ground or is it something very special in its own right let us know your thoughts using the hashtag how to pwg and to get a look at some of the upcoming episodes you can always go over to howtowrestling.com forward slash upcoming and see some of the topics that are coming soon and if you want to support the show you can find us on facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling if you can't get enough of my sexy ass voice according to scott hall <laughs> then you can find it on many videos on our video section on Facebook. You you click on the little tab at the top, it says videos, and you can find all my wonderful promo videos. I've been told they're wonderful. It's just my voice. It is. It's very great. I don't get it. I'm rather fond of it, if I'm honest. I I mean, fine. Whatever rocks your boat. I mean, shrugs wildly. Steiner math, life sucks and then you die. There's also clips from previous episodes and Patreon reviews on there as well. And if you want to continue the conversation of this episode or any others, as always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at HowToWrestling. And don't forget to participate in those old hashtags, not just for the upcoming episode, but feel free to come chat to us about your thoughts and opinions on any previous other episode using the hashtag. And we're approaching a big milestone on Twitter at the moment, Joe, aren't we? So yes, we're nearly at 5,000 followers on Twitter. So tell you what, do your old pal Kevin and Joe a massive favour, spread the word, tell a friend about how to wrestling, give us a follow, give us a like, and go back and check out all of our other episodes. Until next time, thanks everyone for all of your amazing tweets and suggestions and help with the research for War Games. 
tunes on to our next episode don't forget to use the hashtag how to pwg and it's going to be a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya reason he hated it is because for... My apologies, I don't understand. Yeah, you shouldn't understand because there's nothing to do with you. Yeah? God. Don't sit on the war games. Seriously. I will see you at the war games. Ha 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 ha. Alexa and Google Home and war games, yeah. each commanding a team. Like, I think that would be really good, <laughs> like, of the five wrestlers that they've searched for quickest. Like, what was I fucking saying? The guy who hated war games. <laughs> <laughs>